Hello and welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery Alice. Today we have on Kat Wilkins. Kat is coming to us with a story that is really, really important, and that's of spiritual abuse to people who lift their voices for change. Um, this spiritual abuse affected her immensely, affected her husband, it affected their livelihood, their life, their children, everything. Um, in addition to that, Kat is a trained therapist. And as someone who has very much held on to her faith through this and her belief systems, uh, she talks about some ways to, to process this, to look at these type of situations uh, for people who who, yeah, want to follow in the same steps that she did, which is holding on uh, to that faith that she loves so, so dearly. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoy. good today. I think probably better than you because you are coming off of COVID. Yes. I don't so... always sound like this. <laughs> I know. So we're going to excuse any coughs or sneezes. Yeah, um, thank you. Because yeah, we were supposed to record last week and then you got so sick, which is ugh, yeah. just awful. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad we could reschedule. Absolutely. You have some amazing things today. Say, of course, we're going to reschedule. Are you kidding me? <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. So before we really get going, I want to read your bio because you have got a lot of experience in the counseling field and I want people to understand where you're coming from. Sure. And then we're just going to get right into like your, how you grew up. Um, Cause your growing up experience is quite different from your current experience, which is actually unique in the women that I've talked to. So I'm really excited to get into this. Okay, cool. Here we go. Also, I think you're the third or fourth cat um, that I have recorded an episode with in uh, like 13 recordings. I'm not kidding. I was thinking about that this morning. And I was like, why do I have so many cats? That's I have, funny. Yeah, I have four Catherines and only one of you goes by Catherine and the rest of you go by Cat. And I'm like, they're going to be looking at these episodes and like, <laughs> Is this the same? How is I this possible? You know, as an Enneagram 4, I'm feeling a little bit threatened right now. I'm not as special as I thought I was. <laughs> I mean, we could call you like, I don't know, something cheesy, like Caddy. That would be so cute. Oh, Caddy. It, it wasn't cute at all. That was not cute at all. I take it back. As long as it's not Kitty or something, I'm good with that. <laughs> I know. Why don't we all have, yeah, I have names yeah. that I'm like, listen, I don't care if you mess up my name, except when you do it that way. And yeah. I, now I have a problem. And now okay. I'm names just to make sure I have your name right. Cause it's been like weeks yeah. since we've talked. Devry. Yes. Yep. Say it for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. No, you did. You said it perfectly oh, correct. Okay. Devry. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Yep. You put, you even put the emphasis on the right half. A lot of people try to make me mm -hmm. French. Like they're Devry. like, so is it Devry? And I'm like, well, <laughs> 
not French, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so with my, debris. My my favorite, the autocorrect frequently changes it to debris, and I'm like, mm, I'm not yeah. garbage. Like, please, yes. like not debris. Totally, that's what that would rhyme with. That's, it's <laughs> it debris. Makes me crazy. There's no, yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So Kat Wilkins is a licensed therapist. She specializes in EMDR and trauma therapy and is active in the spiritual abuse survivor community. Kat grew up all over the world, but now lives in Orlando with her husband and two kids. She is particularly interested in guiding people into gentle awareness of the ways their bodies respond to past and current trauma, as well as inviting a safe, embodied experience of being loved and being created full of dignity. This, she believes, is healing. Oh my God, I love this so much, Kat. Like, I literally am like, there's like four questions that we will probably pull out of this once we get around to this, because it is... Well, I just... Uh, typed that up really quick right before our meeting. So I felt oh, like I it just came from the heart. <laughs> and you. It, it and you can feel that. And honestly, mm-hmm. like the created full of dignity line is mm-hmm. is just beautiful. And I think it does change so much how we feel about mm-hmm. ourselves, therefore how we respond to things. And yeah. that does shift how our traumas re- being interpreted yeah. through the body. So, so oh true. my God. Okay. Yes. This, this will go on the list of things to talk about here in just a minute. Don't let me forget. <laughs> Don't good. let me forget to come back to That's this. Good. Okay. So talk to us about growing up. Like talk to us about what denomination you grew up in, what your experience was like as a woman in the church um, when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. Would this be an okay time to just give a little trigger warning? That's important to me as a trauma therapist, just that Absolutely. probably everyone knows, given the title of your podcast, that the topics that we're talking about are heavy and people have history associated with faith and the church and particularly women or minorities. And so, uh, yeah, just care for yourself as you're listening. If you need to take a break, this will be right here when you're ready to come back to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But care for yourself because this is meant to come alongside you and embody a feeling of being heard and being understood, hopefully, and being cared for and not activating or dysregulating. So please care for yourself. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. Yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. Oh, of course. Absolutely. So then your question was about how I was (laughs) raised. uh, And feel free to remind me if I'm missing pieces. Yeah, I grew up uh, overseas. My parents were uh, technically, I guess, missionaries is sort of the word we would use. Back then, I don't really know the word I feel like has changed in a lot of meanings, but what they did was my dad was a professor at a university in Indonesia training uh, local uh, students to go back to their own places to become pastors. So he was essentially training pastors, male and female, BT dubs. And uh, my mom was cared for us at home, homeschooled us. Uh, me and my two siblings, and we just were really involved in our neighborhood and in the church community there, Uh, and then moved to Canada when I was 10, and so been there, and just had not really experienced being a part of, uh, like, USA, American evangelicalism. That was new for me until college, when I went to Covenant College uh, at age 18. And that's where I met my husband. We got married after we graduated. And that's the really short version of kind of my faith upbringing. 
Yeah. Now, when we talked, you were explaining how growing up and when you were in college in Canada that you Mm -hmm. uh, didn't feel like your voice had been silenced at all. You felt very much on equal footing. You mentioned like meeting with professors and talking about your views. Yeah, it was, I mean, growing up, uh, you know, as a kid, I don't remember as much of that part of it, but definitely in the spheres of uh, like in Canada and then in college. So from age 10 to like age 18, that in the church sphere of my life, there were female pastors in the denomination, not at our church, but it just wasn't it. I don't remember ever feeling like, oh, I'm a woman and this makes me feel different. Like I always felt valued and my voice was heard. And then, yeah, going off to college, that was my first experience of uh, a white American evangelicalism. And mm-hmm. because I, 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 I want to hope because it was like a higher education setting. Uh, there was a lot of openness. Uh, I know people have really mixed experiences at Christian colleges, but my experience overall was being really valued uh, by professors, male and female. I didn't feel like a threat uh, which might sound weird, probably not to some of the listeners. I was like, uh, probably. <laughs> well, it, I think in retrospect, it's like I didn't go to college thinking, oh, I'm going to be threatening or I'm going to feel dismissed, right? I went to college being like, hey, this is going to be fun. Um, and it did overall prove to just be really sweet. There is uh, philosophy professors and Bible professors who just really um, gave – voice to kind of the things they saw in me, uh, intelligence, um, things that, yeah, just were really encouraging and and made me feel, uh, sometimes even as a colleague, right. That these, these men and women, but particularly these professors, these male professors, um, it was a feeling of belonging and it was a feeling of even empowerment, at times for me. Right. Which is beautiful. And frankly, that gives me some hope for some of these situations, you know, that these pockets do exist within, um, you know, different, different face, but also different geological areas. And, um, Geological is not the word. Geographical. There we go. I was like, I was like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure that's the study of volcanoes. Um, Rocks. I guess. I know. I was like, wait, 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 wait. This college is on top of a mountain, so geological. I feel like that. that, that, that Oh my gosh, it's the worst. I cannot. When I do a wrong word, it's the author in me. I'm like, no. Oh yeah. No, totally. (laughs) I was just gonna keep going, but then it does. Yeah. I appreciate it. I can't. I can't do it. Like my brain short circuits out. We must repair. Yeah. Probably because I really do notice it when I listen to podcasts oh, sure. and stuff too. I'm yeah. like, yeah. I don't think you know what that word means, but you keep right. using it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Minor um, terms, shall we? <laughs> exactly. Um, so no, but it does. It gives me hope that you were able to get through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Up until that you know, through college and through the, through that mm-hmm. system, um, mm-hmm. feeling valued and empowered. Like that's a very strong yeah. word. And I, I love that. It makes me yeah. so happy. So I do, I do think though, it'll be interesting as we continue to talk about your experience from there on out, um, 
because I suspect that this experience actually set you up to have your subsequent experiences be more painful and you mm. were probably much more aware of them because it was such mm. a a difference in feelings from what you had been used to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's hard to compare like what would it have been like if I had grown up uh, in a place where my voice was silenced from an early age in the church and school community. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it made it more jarring to where I could feel the difference. Yeah. It kind of hit me and I was kind of thrown right. back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I've heard from, from a lot of people and, and watched, you know, way too many TikTok videos about this, but, um, (laughs) when, when it has been your norm forever, Mm -hmm. it is amazing. The things that you don't see, like how many things that you just catalog as normal. And then once you come out, it's, it's Mm -hmm. so incredibly abrupt and it's, it's, uh, mm, it really is so life altering because it's you're constantly just hit with, oh yeah. wait, that is not okay, and oh wait, that is not okay, and you're having to shift your entire worldview mm. of not only what religion is, but how, what is acceptable treatment? What should I expect? What should I ask for? Yes. Like it's it's so much resetting because of that. So mm. it's just anyway, it's an interesting. Uh, difference yeah. in your story that, that frankly I wish more yeah. people had that difference in their story because right. I think it is yeah, you get this foundation it's a great place of, to come from right yeah. well as you were just talking I wrote this down um and it it just kind of came to me and I don't think it's like a clever anything but just that normal <laughs> the word normal can be yes. such an, an enemy to flourishing Yes. You know, actually let's, let's talk about this for a second. Cause I would love to know. So I think you're absolutely correct. And that normal prevents the flourishing because we try to conform. Is that what you mean? Well, that that normal normal? when when all we know that when uh, all we know is something Mm -hmm. it's normalized. And so all I know is being silenced or I don't even know it as being silenced. All I know is just, this is the existence. This is where I have a voice. This is where that, you know, I won't even speak because I, I just inherently know that there's not a place for that. Yeah. Similar with domestic violence survivors and victims or people who are in abusive homes, right? It's, well, this is normal. I thought this was normal. So then when I grew up and I talked to friends who were like, well, my parent didn't slap me when I across the face when I messed up, right? It's like, oh, I thought that was right. normal. And there's right. so, um, yeah. And, and at the same time as <clears throat> saying that that's an enemy to flourishing, it's not your fault that this is all you know is normal, right? But the, to get outside right. of that, what maybe normal is just a crappy word anyway. What if instead of normal, it's right. more, what were you made for, right? You weren't made to that. be harmed. You were made to be loved. I love that. I often, so I want, I would like to know, I think that all words have two sides of them, right? Like a Mm -hmm. a positive definition and a negative definition, because I think there's power in normal when we look at it from, how do I put this? Once we start Mm -hmm. seeing problems in our normal, right? Mm -hmm. So we have your normal, which is like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, like not everyone gets hit for this. Not everyone gets yelled at for this, right? And then Mm -hmm. we start to question ourselves, I think. 
we yeah. think maybe I'm bad. Maybe this is just me. I'm putting words in yeah. everyone's mouth. I personally, sure. you know, it's like, it's just me. It's just me. Mm-hmm. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Mm-hmm. And when people start speaking, yeah. you're like, oh my God, no, I am normal in yes. that I am yeah. seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah. Right. And so you find yeah. power in that to be yeah. then able to step completely into yourself because you stop the shame cycle. Yeah. Oh, totally. Cause, and there's, there's a term in, in certain theories of therapy that's called normalizing, right? So that when the therapist or the clinician yes. gets to look at what the client's describing and what's happening and what that embodied experience is and going, oh my goodness, based on what you've been through, based on what you're telling me, your experience of that and the way your body's responding mm. and the way those kind of trauma yes. is being brought up, that's your body working the way it's supposed to, to protect you. That's right. normal. That's and you're normal. not crazy. Exactly. You're not broken. Uh, so I, yeah, yes. I totally agree. And yeah. the word normal can be really helpful when we're saying you're not crazy. You're actually yes. functioning beautifully. But also I love, I love that. Yes. Staying in this idea of like this abuse is normal is yeah. an enemy to flourishing. Like that was yeah. beautifully put and perfect because yeah. it is, it is. And that's part of why I'm doing this is why I'm talking to you is because mm-hmm. that is, that's what started it all for me was like how mm-hmm. much we've lost because women have not been able to flourish. How many like works of genius, how many mathematical Mm -hmm. equations, how many works of art, how many, like, what have we really lost Mm -hmm. as a, as a consequence of what you're saying? And so, yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. Well, and I just, if I can share, I just got this little chill when I heard you saying that because I see your heart for all the, like, um, the, the word I like, I want to say untapped riches, but it almost, that feels too utilitarian. Like I want to use more a term of just this beauty that we've missed out on when we aren't listening to women's voices. And I love your heart for that. And it just made me have a little shiver of, Oh my word, what could be in store when we listen to other women, you know, and when our brothers listen to women as well. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, oh God, see, <laughs> listen, we're 16 minutes in and you're going to make me cry already. Stop. No, mm-hmm. it's fine. I'll cry. It'll be fine. Tears I did my okay, eye makeup, but I can listen, smear it. I'm it's a therapist. Okay. I'm not scared of tears. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I am just as happy, just so you know, to kind of philosophize and go into these places as I am sharing my own story. And so if this turns out to be more of like little tiny snippets of my story and a lot more of like yeah. concepts that we're talking about, I'm and I'm I love totally that. there. I have a lot of soapboxes, yeah. so I will talk oh, about all these so things many. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, the last interview I did, I was like, excuse me, let me step off of the soapbox. I know I've been here for a minute, but yes. we're just going to come off. Oh um, well, and that's exactly like mm-hmm. the stories are so powerful, but being able yeah. to really look at the whys, right? Like, why do we think that? Why do we react that way? What's the cost Mm -hmm. here? What, like, it's all so important. And I think the braiding together of those things is exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Mm. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you another question unless you've got a soapbox. You're going to jump. No, I'm great to go with your Okay. Perfect. (laughs) I saw you scribbling over there. So I was like, oh, oh, we got, okay. I, um, I'm writing down that, that 
question you wrote or that you said, what's the cost? I think that's such an important question to ask in so many of these situations is what's the cost of what we're doing? What's the cost of continuing to go this way, you know, so we can get back to that. That's why I wrote it down. Exactly. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. So when we talked before, um, Mm -hmm. so you, you married, you married your pastor and you guys started with, (laughs) well, I didn't marry my pastor. Well, he clearly is your now. Oh, I know. That's true. That's not what I meant. He, she married the man of her dreams who turned out to be a pastor. Yes. So now he is her pastor, but not in that way. I'm going to stop talking. Okay. <laughs> just going to stop yes, digging that you. hole. No um, power. <laughs> thank you. Words, man, they matter. Words Order matters. So true. I matter. married my guy who is a pastor. Was, is, yeah. Okay. So. Walk us through a little bit how, so you guys go off then to start for him to start working as a pastor. Mm-hmm. You were then a pastor's wife. Um, and you told me that you experienced a lot of variation, bet- you know, yeah. between congregations. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about how you were treated, um, compare and contrast that. And then also mm. I would like to work into uh, men struggling to look you in the eye and, and your yeah, thoughts around that. Sure. Well. Yeah. So, um, after we got married, we actually randomly went overseas for a year. We thought maybe we wanted to do English teaching abroad and that was a tough year for lots of reasons. But then we came back to the U S and went to seminary and seminary was again, uh, you know, an, a really empowering overall experience for me. I mean, it was really tough in a lot of ways, Uh, but that's where I got my counseling degree, my master's in counseling. My husband got his MDiv. We made like the best friends of our lives there. Um, again, these professors who just spoke dignity into me and my husband and empowered us and just really, um, I think made us in some ways feel yeah, like we we know that being a pastor and being a pastor's wife is going to be hard, but we had that safe foundation and we had that these good people kind of sending us off. And so my husband ended up um, taking like a pastoral internship for six months in D.C. And then it was two years in Austin as an ass- pastoral assistant internship. Yes. And then he took a two year or a three. Well, it ended up being three years. Uh, it was supposed to be a longer job in Kansas City as an associate pastor. So that was like his first big pastor job. But up until then, um, the church we were at during seminary was a local church in Orlando. And then the D.C. church and the Austin church, it kind of started for me with the feeling of there aren't deep relationships forming here. And it's not that I'm not trying. It just feels that there's a resistance. Uh, and so experiencing, and ironically, that first church wasn't so much like some of the other churches of these really dominant kind of male people in the church and the women kind of being cast aside. It was more of just even a sleepiness in the men. It was like, there was just this passivity overall. And so feeling like, well, I, (laughs) I want to go deep and I want to make relationships and I want to invest. And there was resistance to that, that I didn't know how to put my finger on. And so the feeling was, well, you know, 
uh, at school and grad school, we have like the best friends ever. We're there all the time. I mean, both of my husband and I were full-time students and both working on campus as well as him working at the church part-time. And so that was just our life. That was our community. And so it didn't feel like such a loss to be at a church that was tougher uh, because we had such a rich relational uh, community at grad school. But then when we went on to the next one, that was when I I had my first child, had very severe postpartum, had a lot of birth trauma, just a whole lot of issues leading up to that. And moving to this new place where my husband, they kind of, they're part of what I understand to be their philosophy at some of these internships is we're training you to know what it's like to be a pastor, right? So even with the wives, it was like seen as this, well, we're preparing you to feel you know, for when your husband's a pastor and he's on call all the time. And so I felt like I didn't have a husband and I was sick a lot. Our son wasn't sleeping. Like it was really, really rough. And so that there was this feeling again, not so much an active harming as much as like a passive. Well, I mean, I think there was some active there. It's like, you're taking this man I mean, honestly, I'm just thinking it was Sundays and Sunday nights and Saturday nights. And there was no day off, even the day off, which was Saturday. They had like a sermon review thing on Saturday that was hours and hours and hours. Um, so it's just a feeling of I'm here in service of my husband and I wanted to do that joyfully. And of course, you're like, well, this is where God has us. And I really, truly, it wasn't just like a whatever, I'll just do this and submit. It was like, no, I really want to be here for him and I really want to support because I believe in this work too. And um, it wasn't until the next church where I started to feel, I would say a pastoral neglect, which was ironic because my husband was on staff. And so this wasn't a mega church where, you know, the pastor might, I might not even see him like in person in a month. This was a few hundred people. There's only like a handful of guys on staff. The feeling was, men in leadership would, it seemed, right? Because I'm there's some speculation here because I can't prove that they wouldn't look me in the eye. Of course, sometimes they did. They'd be like a, hey, and then keep going. But right, right. there were just really specific times where I'd be in a conversation and my husband's there and this male pastor or guy on staff is talking to my husband and I'm kind of like saying stuff because, you know, I, I'm used to like having a voice. Um, and it just feeling like I was being ignored, like I didn't even exist. And of course my first thought would be, oh, I'm reading into it. Right. We doubt ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a bad thing to kind of feel something right. And have an experience and go, okay, my experience is telling me this, is that accurate? How much of that is accurate? How much of it is my own interpretation? Cause that matters. And so, but my default was usually to just, I'm making a big deal of nothing. And I would even ask my husband, am I just like, am I being crazy? And he would honestly, a lot of the times go, no, I felt what you felt. You know, it's like, you're right there. And um, the feeling that I remember having was like, fine. If you want to believe that women can't be pastors, like, fine, do that. But you have to be able to pastor the women in your church. So just the irony of we're going to bar women from being pastors while also we don't really know as men how to just have a normal, healthy, 
friendship with a woman who's not our wife. And if most of the congregation, 50 to 60% is women, then you're missing out on not only pastoring, how do you pastor half your congregation? Number two, how are you even listening to the voices of the other half of the image of God, man and woman, he created them in his image, Mm. both women and men, not just men. So Mm -hmm. soapbox, there you go. That was no, that was that was such cat. That was such a tiny soapbox. I'm gonna just haul you right back up on that soapbox. Um, <laughs> accept, I accept. Uh, perfect. Yes, I'll join you. We'll have a party. Um, okay. So my question is, when? So when you're feeling there, I have so many questions. I'm trying to organize them in my brain sequentially, mm-hmm. and it's not working because my. I have, I have the ADD brain, so it doesn't just try to organize. What it does is it tries to run them all down to the end of their track, which I, sure. there's a limit on how many tracks I can run at once. And then I short. Sure. Well, that's impressive. And if you watch you really close. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I can run several, but eventually you'll watch me short circuit out. And then I start like not being able to speak for a minute. And then I have to do like a computer hard reset and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm great with whatever resets you need to take <laughs> Um, okay, so first of all, let's let's talk about how you were actually feeling like when mm-hmm. you started realizing that you were being ignored. Like how did that actually mm-hmm. impact you as a woman? Yeah. Like I think I kept a lot of it in and you know, I'd kind of feel those pricks, I'd be curious, I'd notice things, I'd again I'd hold it in. And I think part of that, and I'm sort of thinking out loud here, is that if I hadn't held it in, right, if I had just been like always talking to my husband about it or asking questions or then I I just think that a part of me inside knew that it was going to cost me some belonging. Um, Mm -hmm. When you start Mm -hmm. asking questions, especially when this church already had a vibe, and I mean that in like... (laughs) I wasn't just reading into that. Like there were actual things said, articles shared about how to not be too emotional as a woman, like how to not be Uh over emotional. Like that was like the biggest problem in, you know, our church Uh culture today is like this. So perfect. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's like, if I had, I mean, imagine how crazy I would have looked if I were like, Hey, you guys like, don't really look me in the eye. I feel kind of ignored. Like it just would have been like, are you crazy? I think, right. Of course, all that speculation, but I think our bodies know, our bodies know even before our thinking brain knows this part of our brain stem, the the part of um, our bodies and our that controls the nervous system that tells us when things aren't safe, and that's underneath. That's happening always. We're scanning our environments. Polyvagal theory, by the way, uh, to scan for danger and safety. And so there are times when we feel like we can't speak, and it's not that we're consciously going, oh, I don't think this is safe, therefore I'm not going to speak. It's just a feeling. We just inter- we just know, and we might not even be thinking cognitively or consciously about um, how aware we are that things aren't safe, right? Mm-hmm. So I held right. it in. I also, when I look back, and again, I didn't know that I was doing it then, but there is a sense of, or or an experience of, I, I have to hide a little bit mm. of who I am. Yeah. Um, and that would come out in different moments, right. Of like, 
there was a woman's Bible study. I totally have not even thought about this in years. I think this is my first time even thinking of it again since it happened, but a woman's Bible study where someone was like, well, what about tattoos? And I'm like sitting there with, I can't remember if I already had my tattoo or if I was like, I'm definitely getting a tattoo. Like, and I know, I mean, there were lots of, like, there were a few, I'll say a few women in the church who had tattoos. So it wasn't like this big, horrible, bad thing. It wasn't that. It was more just like someone asking a question and someone else being like, well, you know, but just the fact that that was a question right, to me was like, oh, wow, this is where we're at. Um, right. There's right. not a deep understanding of Christian liberties, right? Which is the idea uh, in Christian faith where like, um, all things are, are permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And so there's like a wisdom that's required for not like, uh, there are so many things that we might have differing opinions on, but it's fine if they're permissible, but we might think about how it might come across or what message it might send. And therefore we need to use wisdom and discernment. Right. And so like swearing, for example, that to me is an issue of Christian Liberty. If it's about demeaning somebody, um, dismissing them, uh, treating them as if they're not made in the image of God, then that's 100%, I believe, wrong. But I think that there are times when a really strong word is not only permissible, but it is beneficial. Uh, and right. so just right. so most of Christian life is seeing things through that lens. And the fact that the tattoo thing was even a, a big, oh, what about tattoo? It just was like, oh, wow. So I probably shouldn't tell everybody that I went to a Katy Perry concert last weekend <laughs> because that's not Christian music and she's pretty like racy sometimes. Um, so yeah, it definitely was. Yeah. And it could be, it would feel like, well, seemingly small things, right? Like the music that I listen to that I'm hiding that. But when you hide small things about yourself because the small things might not be acceptable, there's a message that gets absorbed that, Yes. Surely the deepest, darkest things in me that are big are also not going to be accepted. If they can't even handle this pop concert that I went to, then how are they going to handle my depression, my year long, years long struggle with anxiety, my, um, yeah, you know, things like that. So. Oh my God. I just like, I'm cheering inside. I'm doing the, cause it is, it's, this is, this is where I get so, so passionate because what people will do and what they will say is they will, they will listen to the first part, right. Of like, okay, so what? So you can't tell them you went to a Katy Perry concert, like how that's not negative. That's not the church. Like that's not a problem. Right. And that's not but the core of is such am. a Exactly. But it is such a problem for exactly what you lined out because it's the rest of the messaging that we absorb that Mm -hmm. silences us, that isolates us, that Mm -hmm. makes us feel like we are inherently broken, that we are inherently unworthy, that there is something wrong with our, our desires, our likes, our dislikes. And so then of course, what about it? Yeah. Our deep, dark stuff. Like now that seems even deeper and darker and it's turned into this monster where before it was just a shadow, right? And now all of a sudden, because of this internal messaging, we now have this gaping mind demon in us that we can't admit to anyone, which just feeds it more. Yeah. And we are more ashamed of it and more, and it's just this cycle and it all starts with the most innocuous seeming Mm -hmm. events and thoughts. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's about the messaging. Mm-hmm. It's the messaging. And actually what you said about like that we all feel 
it makes women feel like we're inherently broken or dark or whatever, that our preferences, our likes and our dislikes are broken. Coming out of reformed theology, so this is like the theology of the reformers, um, starting with Martin Luther and then carrying on through all the other reformers. Calvin is a big one. Like this is a specific uh, corner of evangelicalism where one of the tenets of the faith is called total depravity. And so mm-hmm. that means that we are actually broken. We are inherently uh, skewed by the fall, every part of us. And while I, I, I like to think that I'm balanced. Like I like to think that I could, and I mean, I've been reformed for a really long time. I'm not sure where I'm at with a lot of those things now. So let's just say that outright. I don't know how reformed I am anymore. But where I look at that and go, yes, of course, this means every part of you is impacted by brokenness in the, that's just in the world, right? So no one would say that they're perfect. No one would say that our, our likes or our preferences or our will is perfect. Like no part of us is perfect. And that's what I take that to mean is that the brokenness that came into the world has an impact on everything, right? This is why we have illnesses is that even our bodies are broken. It doesn't mean we're bad. It just means that they've been impacted by death and sickness and disease and Mm -hmm. all these things. Whereas you can look at that total depravity thing and look at it as, you know, nothing I do is good. There's always going to be sin in every little thing that I do. And I'm just a wicked worm, you know, like that song. And I love Amazing Grace, but the Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Like, I don't like to sing songs anymore that talk about how, like, we're just all worms. Because that's not actually how the Bible talks about us. The Bible talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And yes, every part of us is impacted. And I know there are people who will have turned that total depravity to let's say radical depravity, where rather than total, like every single part of us is bad. It's more that every part of us has been impacted by what's bad, but that there's still, when you peel all those layers, what we are first and foremost is created in the image of God and that the dignity is what's at the core and not wretchedness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all that to say, I can see people having both sides of like, yes, okay, how much of us is totally wrong and twisted by the fall and by sin and death and all the stuff? How much of it isn't blah, 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 whatever. I feel like you could have differing opinions on those, but if the way it's acted out is that I can no longer trust that like the Holy Spirit is in me. Cause I mean, Christians believe that if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so if the Holy Spirit's in me, can't I trust a lot of my gut? Can't I know that some of the things that I believe and see and feel might actually be righteous and not just wretched, wormy, horrible, broken? So that's another of my soapboxes. But I really just, I see how, I and I know that there are good men and women in the Reformed tradition who do treat people like they're made in the image of God and do acknowledge the dignity um, and are beautifully doing that work. But there's also such a pit that that can fall into. So that what you're saying, which is like that we absorb this belief that we're all inherently broken, they would be like, yeah, because you are. Right. Exactly. Where do you start with someone like that? Right. Um, Who just, well, of course you're totally broken. And yeah, there's a part of this that has linked into the Christian counseling thing too. Biblical counseling versus integration is, you know, the term that they would use to talk about what I do, which is integrating psychology, which is actually 
heart of reformed faith is that all truth is God's truth, right? Mm, so mm-hmm, that there's mm-hmm. truth, not just in the Bible, but that in studying, right? In um, the fields of like science and medicine, like if you really believe all truth is God's truth, then what about what we've discovered about the brain and the body and how trauma and whatever word you want to use, if you don't want to use the word trauma, if you want to use the word harm or sin or death or brokenness or whatever biblical word you want to use, um, that our brains and our bodies are impacted by that in a way that God knows he's not surprised by that. And he's gentle with that. And so um, I remember just hearing, you know, someone who was training to be a biblical counselor being like, wow, I can't believe you see male clients. And I'm like, oh, well, and I really wanted to be curious. I'm like, why would you not? And she's like, well, because we're all wretched, wretched sinners. And so who am I to say that like, if I had a male client that I wouldn't be whatever. And ah, <laughs> yeah. And, this is the ah. and so I'm going, well, if you're such a wretched, wicked sinner, that being in a room with a male cl- person is gonna, if you're so sure that you might just be one step away from some horrible, horrible thing, then like, there's something wrong there Mm -hmm. or there's Mm -hmm. something that needs to be tended to. Right. And I hate how that weaponizes friendships and relationships between men and women in general. And I'll be the first to say, of course there's, there's risk, right? The irony is that in churches where they have the Billy Graham rule, which is like a man and a woman shouldn't be alone in a room together in churches that have these rules will also will say, you cannot see a male client if you're a female therapist there's sexual abuse happening behind closed doors in these churches. Absolutely. People, Absolutely. men, people who are predators will find a way to prey on women. But if we're just assuming that I'm going to lust after a male client or that this male client's a threat to me, then what you're actually saying is exactly what I saw in practice in that very church was that any woman who I'm not married to is actually a threat to my whole threat. Yeah. And yes. when we talk about threat, right, when we talk about our nervous system, there are things that inherently we tend to pick up on as danger cues. Okay. So we talked about the pandemic. Um, just in general, people have talked about to mask or to not mask. And I think there's just so, it's a complex question, but where masking is protecting the vulnerable, right? That we're supposed to be caring for the vulnerable among us. But then there's also this real concern that what about developmentally with young children at schools where they're not actually seeing their caregivers full face because we actually, Mm -hmm. the data shows that we are picking up on all the little micro muscles in the face. Mm -hmm. And when our caregiver smiles at us, we feel that right as a child, we feel that sense of safety and and stability and this co-regulating experience. And so when you wear a mask, you're, it's kind of an, it's inherently a danger cue to our nervous system, isn't it? If someone walks in and wears a mask, we, you kind of, yeah, there's this, this picking up on, oh, they're afraid of me. They're afraid I'm sick. They're afraid they might get sick, whatever, right? All these messages. And I'm not saying that masks are bad. I actually wore one just today. I'm very thankful for the uh, technology that's given us the ability to protect ourselves and protect other people. But what I'm, where I'm headed with that is that when a person doesn't look you in the eye and I know, okay, I'm just going to say this straight out. This is culturally determined as well. I don't think there's an inherent in every human where we grow up and a lack of eye contact is a threat. There are cultures in the world where eye contact is a threat. 
Okay. So that's mm-hmm. really important for me to say that this is cultural, but in a society or in little pockets of our culture here in the U S where, you know, let's just say you've grown to be accustomed to safe eye contact, that, that matters that like for someone to look you in the eye here, you know, in like white circles or in, um, I don't even know uh, what I'm trying to say here, like white American, whatever. It's like in our society, it tends to communicate, I care about you. I see you. You matter. I'm hearing you. I'm listening. And so when a man who's your pastor, who's your spiritual leader, isn't willing to look you in the eye, think about all the women whose nervous systems are picking up on that as a danger cue. Mm. And Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the ways we, right, withdraw to protect ourselves, that's not all voluntary. When our systems choose without our our, uh, consent to kind of go into a withdrawal position or even a um, shutdown position, which you have a lot of, I believe, in my opinion, we have a lot of shutdown and withdrawn women in evangelical spaces Mm -hmm. for good reason, Right. Mm-hmm. And that that's christened yeah. as holy because, oh, look, she's being a good submissive wife. It's no, she's so traumatized <laughs> that her uh-huh. voice has not heard. And I know that there's, I want to make space for different personalities and different um, temperaments, right? There might be people who are just naturally more uh, quiet or introverted. And that's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. But where we don't even know what it looks like to be the type of women God has made us to be and that actually all women are strong women and can be strong Mm -hmm. women. And that strong women is just this euphemism for, Oh, you're an opinionated bee. (laughs) Like, um, Uh anyway, uh you can clearly see all the little hops my brain just did because I have a lot. No, and I'm scribbling as fast as I can, (laughs) but but while trying to also listen. And so like, I can't, okay, here we go. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So many things to talk about. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to just kind of try to flip back to several things that you said and just hopefully we'll go into a little bit of expansion on them. So one of the things that stood out to me is you mentioned really briefly that, um, you know, articles being read and, um, you know, I want to say speeches, but not sermons. I was like, what Mm. is the word sermons (laughs) about women's not being overly emotional and I really think that the demonization of feminine emotions is a root cause of female silencing. Like it, and it, and it was, in my opinion, done so very intentionally because how do we get people to be quiet? We make them ashamed of their natural Mm -hmm. responses. And so then, and, and it tends us, it tilts us into making choices like what you've already talked about of, Mm -hmm. I'm probably reading into it. I'm probably just crazy. I'm just being too emotional. And so we shut Mm -hmm. ourselves up. No one even has to do it for us because we've already demonized female emotion. Well, and can I, can I poke a little bit with that, Debbie? Please poke, please. What, what, who, who, or how have we learned that from that those are female emotions? Oh, everybody, everybody, which is toxic right. masculinity as well. 100%. Yeah. Right. So, 100%. so even calling them feminine emotions, 
is it could it is it fair that that even itself might be um, a way that that seeped in, right? To call oh, yeah. things feminine emotion. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you're you're using Absolutely. it as like a haha feminine emotions, but like who's to say that gentleness is a feminine emotion? Right. Galatians, exactly. fruit of the spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, who's in everyone, by the way, right? Male and female. This isn't just, hey, so the fruit of the female spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right. faithfulness, and self-control. No, mm-hmm. it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Like right. men. So, I, and so, I we're, think, so really here's yeah. what's happening though. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to geek out for a second because yeah. so we're going to cross over to, um, so I'm heavily in the spirituality camp, but you've already yeah. mentioned the two yeah. faces of God, right? Male and female. Yeah. So by silencing a quote, feminine emotion, such as let's say gentleness, we'll use the same example. Yeah. It is silencing the feminine in both sexes. So that mm-hmm. aspect of God sure. is lost in yeah. both sexes. So it's being yeah. wiped completely yeah. because it's yeah. been demonized. It's weak for women, or sorry, it's weak for men to be gentle yeah. and that women are supposed to be gentle, but that that's turned into quiet or passive, uh-huh. right? Small. Um, small. Soft. Yeah. Whereas like gentleness, goodness gracious, when you look at Jesus in the gospels, the, the very thing he says about his nature, like the two words he uses to describe his nature are gentle and lowly, lowly. That's like meek, yes. meek. Yeah. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor, right? Like there's just the thing about how Christianity has another thing that I'm not an expert to talk about, but that I'll just toss in here in the mix is the politicization of faith. Right. And how Mm. Christian politics, all, and I'll say that in quote, like whatever that looks like, the Christian conservative political machine is all about fighting and war and, and, and dominating. And that's so not Jesus. And so that's Mm -hmm. not Christianity. And that's why, Mm -hmm. sadly, like I would love to be able to just say, yes, I'm a Christian, like Jesus, I love, you know, because, and I am. But when the word has been so, because language evolves, right? When conservative, evangelical, I'm not, I don't call myself an evangelical because I don't want to be associated with that base, that political base. And yet I, yeah, gosh, it's just, yeah. So I hear what you're saying that there actually perhaps are emotions that might be even biblically categorized as more of the feminine type or more of the masculine mm-hmm. type. And that that's a good thing. And I, I actually don't know what I believe about that, but I think that's a great point that yeah. you're wiping off half of literally half of the way God um, reveals yes. himself to right. the world. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> and it yeah, breaks. Um, oh, it just breaks yeah. my heart because it's both, it, mm. all of it is needed. We can't demonize mm. part of the human experience. And well, and even that word, it. yeah, even that word demonize, isn't it? How, how twisted it is because what's more evil than when good is called evil and evil mm. is called good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when like the good things in us are called, are demonized, it's like you're literally taking righteousness and calling it unrighteousness. And that is scary. 
That's it scary is. when it is. the truth isn't even the truth anymore, especially for people who are pride themselves on, you know, truth is truth and there's big capital T truth and um, objective truth is real and postmodernism is blah, blah, blah. It's like you're looking at these facts and you're actually saying this is Jesus, but it's so not. Mm. So let's talk That's about so truth. Yeah. 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 And truth is something I could spin out on for a while because that yeah. was a huge part of my problem and my struggle mm. to mm, conform properly within mm. the Mormon church mm. was, I think the idea of black and white is utter nonsense. Like it yeah. does not exist. It just doesn't. Yeah. There yeah. are 100,000 shades of gray, but black and white is so mm. much more comfortable. Are there 50 for shades of gray, Devery? Or would they no, there are 100,000. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I've never read the book or watched the movie. Like, I'm not into that, but no judgment. Um. I know it's I have the numbers. <laughs> like, literally, it's a yeah. like if you listen to the podcast, you'll they'll just be like 437, 969. But I cannot ever use 500 <laughs> with shades of gray because that is 50. exactly what happens. Yeah. So I have to no. I have to go bigger. Yeah. Um <laughs> again, okay. we are not saying it's bad if anyone enjoys because I haven't read it actually. I mean, I, I will say I have issues with um, lack of consent being seen as sexy. So like, let's just say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think and so, and I don't is- know enough about those books or movies. So like I, there are things that I will say are always wrong. And so that, yeah, but I we probably don't need to have that footnote. I think people can yeah. probably assume that. We're <laughs> yeah, I think they can somewhat get that. Yeah. done that. Okay. But consent <laughs> is important. And, and sometimes, you know yeah. what, sometimes people don't know though. That's the thing is like boundaries mm-hmm. are not taught very well. And religious, oh, yeah. and sometimes they are purposefully taught that they should not be a thing, and so that mm-hmm. does heavily go into the consent conversation. Yeah. And I am not I've my seen own. a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and honestly, okay, I'm gonna side like step us here for just yeah, two seconds, just, and then thank yep, God I took notes so we can get back. Um, <laughs> we're like was, winding we, around all these wonderful. I know, things. which is perfect. It's it's right. so perfect because it's those those wines were like the most profound things just come out of people's mouths, and so yeah. I love it. Um, the consent factor, I think, though, is something that is a bigger problem than most people realize. So I'm a pretty self-aware person. Um, and since leaving, I have done a lot of work around my own self-awareness and finding patterns and some of what you were mentioning about listening to my body and being like, oh, we have a like issue here that I need yeah, to look at. Right. Something's but, uh, right. Yeah. But I still missed some of the lack of consent places. And so like I was watching a video, um, it was an ex-Mormon video and they were talking about the lack of consent within um, the Mormon temple ceremonies. And even at this point, like I've deconstructed so far, I've done so much work and I'm like, lack of, huh, really? And then they start talking and I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, because what is happening in, in these instances is, Mm. is you go in and they're like, Hey, do you not want to continue? So they've given you an opportunity to consent, but what they did not do is tell you what was coming next. What you're consenting to. Exactly. Mm. And I was like, cause, cause my brain was like, I totally said yes. Like I had an opportunity yeah. to leave, but I didn't because I had no idea what I was consenting to. And so then you're informed. in so deep. 
informed consent. Exactly. That was mm-hmm. like, um, I had the first time I watched one of those videos, I sat there for a minute going, wow. Oh my gosh. Like I, yeah. I didn't realize. And so what happens then is you blame yourself. Like you hold all the responsibility, yes. even though you yeah. never had the opportunity to give informed consent. So then you, how did that make you feel then that like, it's my fault. Was there a feeling of being violated? At all? You know, not in the yeah. like, well, okay, that's not true. Um, how the temple experience is such a weird thing to describe mm-hmm. because it is bizarre. Um, mm-hmm. it is very ritualistic and we are not as Americans prepared for that. Like that's not something yeah. we've yeah. grown Western up with. Is this, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not this ritualistic thing. And the Mormon mm-hmm. church is not ritualistic in a lot of ways prior to the temple ceremony. So you're not prepared mm-hmm. for it in that way either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, I had a very like icky feeling throughout like the whole thing of just like, mm-hmm. what is happening and why why am I doing these things? Why am I being told to do these things? Why am I consenting to these things? But then it's such, I, sorry, I I try not to drop the F bomb very often, but there's really no other word than like, it's a complete mind fuck because what happens Mm -hmm. is you're having people like me are having these feelings, right. Of of this, this ickiness and it's like, something is wrong and I don't feel right about this. And your internal bells are going off. But you are surrounded by your family who are smiling and beaming and they look Mm. so happy for you. So now you have to pretend, right? Like, I'm good. This is great. Like, I'm totally fine. And the stakes are so high because now we're talking eternity. We're talking eternal salvation. This is part Mm. of that process for eternal salvation. And your family is so happy because you've made it, right? Um, And so you leave feeling very, very conflicted. Like you're like, that was weird, but also look, everyone's so happy. And I guess I'm happy. And, and that was right. And I just need to get used to it and it'll be fine. And it was just weird. Cause it was new mm-hmm. and, and you talk yourself out of it and you talk yourself so far out of it mm-hmm. that you keep going back. Cause it's righteous and it's commanded and it's of God and all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. you try to just get used to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's not till, yeah, you leave where all of a sudden you're like, wait, a, wait a second wait a second, (laughs) what actually, what actually happened there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even that kind of brings us back to that normal place, right? Of You're probably taught, tell me if this is accurate, like the ickiness I feel, there's lots of reasons for that. It's like, of course I'm nervous. I'm in front of all these people. This is new. Like, of course I'm going to be nervous. And I'm not sure what it, like in Mormonism, but in the evangelical kind of traditions that I have found myself in at times, any sort of dissonance inside, right? That dissonant, which is like, there's something not right here. There's something kind of not like this missing or even a kind of um, what might actually be the Holy Spirit in you telling you, hey, this isn't right, Mm -hmm. actually gets labeled as spiritual warfare. Uh Uh-huh. Uh Right. So Mm -hmm. when we're speaking truth, when we're preaching God's word, of course, we're going to make enemies because the world does not understand this. This is, you know, the righteousness of God, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Like all these things, right. That when you're actually speaking truth and doing the right things, you are going to, there is going to be like, uh, 
I don't know what the word is. I'm trying to like, there is going to be a clash of some sort. And so you're taught to see that as, oh, this is just the evil one, not wanting God's good work to move forward. Or this is just the sin in me that's um, trying to doubt or, you know, um, go against God's will. And it can be so subtle. Like I've talked to people who, um, whose experience was that it was just that black and white, you know, that, uh, oh, yeah. like strongly in, explicit in my churches, it was never, oh, this is all spiritual warfare, but it's so subtle. It's well, if you're, yeah. if you're this rich, wretched sinner, then of course you're going to feel things that go against what's good. And so this, um, what's the dissonance that we feel that might actually be our bodies going, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. Gets labeled as, oh, that's normal. Don't worry. Like there's always going to be evil whenever good is happening. There's always going to be this force that we have to fight against that's telling us. And it's really scary. I just wrote a blog post about this and I, it's called Mm. uh, the silent scene of our intuition because exactly what it's labeled yeah. as it's not just labeled as dangerous mm-hmm. which would be bad enough our intuition becomes labeled as satan if it doesn't yeah. line up with yeah. what we've yeah. been taught is god right yes it's sinful and, it's selfish it's right it's, it's not a warning it's not your knowing it's not anything it's yeah. it's satan tempting yeah. you Yes. And the problem with this is it furthers what we've already talked about, which is this fear of one's own self. Yeah. This belief mm-hmm. that we are both evil, right? Because we're inherently mm-hmm. broken from the beginning and all of those things. And yeah. now we are so susceptible to Satan's teachings or his, not even teachings, Satan's sneaky influence mm-hmm. that we don't one. even know what's our voice and what is Satan's? And so we are living literally in a perpetual state of fear. Yeah. And is that is that like in Mormonism, is there, I really don't know all that much, but in, in like evangelical traditions um, that I'm familiar with, it's not as much that there is this ongoing battle of Satan and God. Once you're like in Christ, right? Once you have the spirit mm-hmm. in you, that's been defeated. There's more of a battle between flesh and spirit, which also I have mm. issues with the terminology because that mm-hmm. kind of implies that our bodies are mm-hmm. bad. And I don't, that's not at all mm-hmm. what the Bible says. Um, yeah. But I'm curious if, how, if what difference there is for you in the Mormonism tradition that you came out of, is it that, you're not saved. You have to kind of fight for that salvation constantly. Is it like, you don't even know till the very end if you're really doing things well. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, What's it the is a little different. of faith and salvation. Yeah. 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 So it is a little different in, which actually, I don't know, this is a whole thing for me. I don't fully understand um, yeah. some of the evangelicalism yeah. thought process in this either. Cause yeah. So I'm like, so in Mormonism, um, there are certain things that you need to do in order to go back to God. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is consistent among most Christianity, like baptism being one of them, right? Like you need to be baptized yeah. okay. in order to, I don't, I, I don't know what the correct terminology would be across religions, but yeah, accept be God, saved. like covenant to, oh, sure. Yeah. To be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in Mormonism, it's not a sweeping thing where it's like, now you can do yeah. anything you want. 
which I don't sure. think is true for evangelicals. No, it's not. But that's yeah. where that's where you get two sides, right? It's like, can you lose your salvation versus once you're saved, you're always saved, and that's the view. Oh of yes, like yes. Predestination Mormonism. and election. Yeah, yeah. So no, Mormonism can lose, does believe it can be lost through your you own actions. Yes. yes. So okay, you, so it's very like, conditional. Yeah, which would make sense. Yes, that you if, have to. If there's always a yeah. battle in my soul between God and Satan. Then, oh my gosh, you're living in fear, and you're having to conquer constantly. Satan, and you're having to constantly yeah. make sure that what you're feeling is actually right and not wrong. And oh my mm-hmm. word, that just sounds exhausting. Yeah, absolutely, it is exhausting. <laughs> And I think that's like, that's true. I see that in Catholicism. I see that in Judaism. Um, And depending on which congregation I think of evangelicalism. Yes. I'm not the expert on this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Because yeah, Yeah, so it can feel more that way. Like even though people say you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith. Practically that can play itself out. Well, yeah. Because then you have the 10 commandments coming into play, right? So like, so it yeah it gets like the the line gets very yeah. smudgy depending on sure. where you're at. You're still supposed I, to be faithful even if you already have your right. soul uh, exactly purchased. Yeah, by and God. and depending mm-hmm. on what Mormon you talk to will depend on yeah. how that yeah. answer is given to you yeah. um, about losing salvation. But there's right. definitely a long history of a repentance process. Um, mm-hmm. You know, needing to take stock of one's life, needing to evaluate where one is and, you know, put yourself back on the path if you've Um, fallen away. Um, But there is also what you talked about with the flesh thing. So Mm. the, the terminology in Mormonism would be the natural man is an enemy to God forever and ever Mm, meaning, yeah, all of our natural inclinations. So sex, you know, like all of those things Mm. are an enemy Mm. to God. Mm. And we need to control yeah. those things and manage those things. Right. And and right. any faithful person is like, well, yeah, but what's wrong with that? Because we're not saying don't have sex. We're saying have sex within the proper godly confines, right? Like no premarital yeah. sex. But right. you can't, now I'm getting on my soapbox, you can't mitigate the damage of statements like that. Like it's like putting off mm-hmm. a nuclear bomb and being like, well, we only mm-hmm. set it off here. We didn't mean for it to hit 3,000 right. square miles. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's. Yeah, you, when the, you put that yes. mindset in, it just yes. spreads. Which also just makes me think about how evil is most powerful when it takes a little bit of truth and then twists it. I also wrote a blog post about this. <laughs> <laughs> right? So like, because we would say, well, yeah, there are we are meant to be faithful. We are meant to, to kind of, um, if God knows he created us and he knows best how we thrive, then even after we're in him, we don't have to worry about salvation. We're saved. Like it's set in stone. You know, our name is written in the book of life. We still have to be faithful and obedient and, and operate within these boundaries, which are good, by the way, because, right, and I agree with, I think, bound, I mean, any like somewhat healthy parent will tell you, yes, boundaries are actually really good. And even though they might be stupid sometimes, or our kids might feel like they're stupid, and maybe we make dumb boundaries sometimes, we still are creating boundaries because our children thrive. Their brains and their bodies actually develop better when there's a a bit of stability, right? Some sort of, so all that to say, yeah, 
the boundaries are sort of how we thrive best under God's will. And so, but when you say that, you take that little bit of truth, like, well, yeah, of course, how we act is important. But then you put that as a yoke of slavery, burdening Mm -hmm. people with, you have to be doing the right thing all the time. And the irony, oh my goodness, it's so ironic that the people that are most keeping burdens on people about here's all the rules and here's all the things you have to do are also most of the ones that don't actually have real accountability for those in power. This is my speculation. This is just my own experience. It's like the irony that you are so about rules and regulations and um, just condemning people with those. The same leaders that are operating that way tend to be the ones that are very light on uh, accountability for their own failures. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Which yeah. it's ironic, but makes sense all at the same time because when you're living out of fear, you're also afraid of your own accountability, mm-hmm. and you're going to do whatever you can to control everyone else. So absolutely, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Okay, so I want to know hmm. your opinion on something. I'm going to share okay. my thoughts around this, and then I would love to know um, where you're at. Mm-hmm. I. Oh, and where did I, my brain just went quiet. Hold on. I scribbled it down. Um, Okay. I also talked for a long time, so maybe I got you off track. Sorry for that. Oh, good Lord. It was perfect. We're here for you to talk, not. I'm also supposed to remind you, but like, I'm also supposed to remind you of the bio questions that you have in my bio. (laughs) So later. So many things. Um, it was with the inherently. Uh, nope, nope, shoot, it's gone. I don't want to waste time on that. So let's, oh, no, no, the bio actually did remind me. That's what it was. Oh, okay, Okay. perfect. So I personally think that we are exactly what you said. There's divinity in all of us. I think there is God in all of us. And what I have ended up talking to several women about is this, um, this belief, not this belief, this fear Okay. Um, a lot of women who've grown up highly, highly religious in a variety mm-hmm. of religious environments mm-hmm. have this belief system that if they let go, so if they just mm-hmm. like tap into the reality of themselves as mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. that they will be horrible. Like that the world, the mm-hmm. world will come crashing down. They will become thieves. They will become liars. They will become cruel. They will be mean. They will, they will be dishonest. They will not care about their children. They'll, they'll leave their kids and run off to Panama. Like all of these things that they are so fearful of. And my, my statement to all of these women that I've talked to about this has been, I, I do not believe for one second that that is actually who you are at your core. For one, the fact that you're asking the question at all is proof Mm -hmm. that is not who you are at your core. Somebody who is going to leave their children and go to Panama and live a life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll does not worry about that choice. They just do the thing, right? Again, there's nothing wrong with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I feel like I have to have so many caveats when I speak. But like, I- I love all of those in different ways. (laughs) I know, right? They're Great. So, you know, but I just, it breaks my heart so deeply when I listen to these women and I was one of these women for a while 
mm-hmm. be afraid of themselves. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they just are, that's what they, if, yeah. if they don't have this religious system in their life, they yeah. will become bad because they are inherently bad. So yeah. as a, as a counselor, as someone who's worked in mm-hmm. pastoral work, mm-hmm. um, and then just your own personal experiences, what are, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think those are all really good questions. I mean, I think theologically, it kind of feels important to differentiate between is there like if God's fingerprint is on all of us, right? What does that mean? And you might say it differently than I would, because I don't think I would say that we, and maybe this isn't what you're saying, but I wouldn't go as so far as to say there's divine in terms of we are all part of the divine. That would be, Mm -hmm. I think pantheism would be the word for that, that there's like Mm -hmm. this divine kind of in everything, right? In every living thing or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's where you're at, but that would be a Oh, that a probably line. is where I'm at. I think that's yeah, okay. Really yeah. No, thanks yeah. for clarifying. So I personally, just my own beliefs, I wouldn't go that far. I would say that if we've all been made by God, we have his fingerprint on us, right? Another way to say that in biblical terms is he made mm-hmm. us in his in it, in his image, mm-hmm. that in his kindness and wisdom. He created our bodies such that there are beautiful things that we're capable of. And one, one example or one metaphor I use in therapy often is, you know, God, even though he created the first man and woman, whatever your beliefs are about the origin story, um, even though God created people originally as perfect, right? When there is no bad in the world, there is no wrong. There is no brokenness or sickness or sadness or grief or pain or death or all those things. God still in his kindness gave our bodies. And I think whole body, like head to toe provisions when brokenness entered the world, right? So if we were only forever made for perfection, then our bodies wouldn't know how to heal a paper cut, right? So, so as, yeah, as sickness and death and pain entered the world, God actually pretty amazingly has allowed our bodies to be able to find ways to, to heal and to protect us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that also goes into when our souls are harmed, right? Not just when our bodies are harmed, when our souls are harmed, there are ways that God can, that God does and can um, secure us and hold us and, and use our bodies to protect us. And so when you look at just even the biology, the neurobiology of, of our systems, when you look at an animal, right, who's being chased by a predator the fight flight reflex kicks in. The animal's thinking brain is too slow to go, hmm, there's a cheetah. I need to run. It just happens. And then what you have is like all, what happens is the uh, the sympathetic nervous system gets activated. The blood in your, in the animal's body floods to its limbs. All other major organ systems are kind of slowed down. So digestion kind of does, isn't doing its work because that's not where all the resources need to go. And that minute, all the resources need to go toward your muscles and your limbs to get out of that danger, right? Mm -hmm. But then once you get to safety, you're able to kind of come back to okay. So there's all these YouTube videos, Google like uh, animals 
um, I'm trying to remember, like discharging sympathetic energy. It's like oh, once yeah, they reach yeah. safety, they, like they kind of shake them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's yeah. beautiful, right? That's how God's created. And when he created animals in the creation story, there was no need for their systems to do that. If there was, everything was just living in perfect harmony, but that there's been these provisions made to protect us. And so when you're in a situation where your soul's being harmed, right, where you're as a human being victimized, you're being abused, you're being oppressed, your system might go into fight flight. It might go into shutdown. So dissociative kinds of experiences in, in, in situations of physical or sexual abuse, really common. And we tend to see those as a problem. What if they're actually a gift? Because our God knew that our system couldn't handle the reality of what was happening to us in that moment. And so that's just a small example of the kinds of things that I look at it clients in the eye and I'm able to say all these things that you shamed yourself for. Why did I respond in that way? Why did I let the abuse happen to me? Why did I just collapse? Why did I, you know, all the things is, yeah, I'm guessing that your wise, good body made a decision with what resources it had available to it then that actually protected you. But here's where we get into the next step, which is if you get a paper cut and your body knows how to heal, what if there's a gunshot wound? What if there's a stab? Mm-hmm. What if there's a tumor? Right? And our bodies, it doesn't mean that God's not good, that he hasn't created us beautifully, that you don't have goodness in you if you're not able to heal that on your own. Because part of what we've been created with is togetherness, interdependence. Um mm-hmm the brilliance of our prefrontal cortex that's more advanced than any any animal in the in the animal kingdom that we have all these ways to be able to develop the medical profession and all the things where you know it doesn't make you weak if you need to go to the doctor for a broken foot mm-hmm. <laughs> similar that's to right. how you can see a therapist who understands the brain and the body and that doesn't mean that the goodness is you in you is broken. It just means that you need a little extra support because this world sucks sometimes and damage that happens is so big. So I know that's a really like, uh, I don't know, big, like going all around kind of way to answer your question. But when I, when I hear like, is there divine in all of us? I think we have God's fingerprints on us to where there's wisdom in our bodies yeah. that he created, that he gives us such ability to, for our brains and bodies to be able to protect us in ways that we really needed. And sometimes we get stuck and that's just life, right? And so someone who is chronically stuck in like that shutdown place, that could look like depression. Right. And we wouldn't look at that person and go, this is your fault because you've been in danger your whole life and you're choosing this shutdown. We would say, your body's been so wise to be able to bring you to shut down because it couldn't handle everything and, and it just needed to kind of shut down for a minute and, and, or maybe a long time because we get stuck there. And that's, that can be something that you needed for a time and that you actually want more for yourself at the same time. And so Mm -hmm. I'm of course entering into the sphere of therapy now, which is where I'm like, it doesn't mean you're weak that you need therapy. It actually means that your body's just needs a little extra support. Um, I'm a big fan of therapy. I suggest it for everyone. I think therapy is amazing and was so helpful in my own journey too. And finding the right therapist for you. Great fit is important. Yep. Yeah. That can approach it from the side that you need to approach it from. Can you talk to us a little bit about, um, cause this is, this is a massive soapbox of mine. Um, 
shame. Can we talk about shame for a minute? I was totally, we're headed there, right? Because it's so natural that what we experience as our brains and bodies trying to, in their goodness, protect us, we often have shame on ourselves for that. And so I'd love to hear kind of what your thoughts are. Do you want me to keep going or do you want me to kind of give you a minute? Oh, good Lord. Listen, anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while, it hears me a lot. So let's start with you. Well, (laughs) And I'm sure I'll I'll add or ask questions or anything. Yeah, sure. So when we talk about, right, that that natural good um, cycle that our bodies have to go through when we experience that shutdown or that mobilization in, in a period of kind of threat is that there's actual, like when you're scared, when you're angry, when you're hurt, when you're stressed, when you're anxious, that actually takes physical space up in your body. Your system's coursing with adrenaline and cortisol Mm. and biologically it actually needs to come out, right? It's like that Mm. shaking of the animal. It's like, it actually needs to come out. And we're the only creatures in the animal world that kind of has something called a prefrontal cortex. It's like really this high kind of thinking brain in such a sophisticated way that we do that kind of comes in and short circuits that natural process, Mm -hmm. right? So we, that's where logical brain might come in and go, like we kind of stop ourselves from what our body needs. And so much of this, I think there's so many layers because in a lot of these faith traditions, we learn that like, um, our bodies don't matter. They're not important. They're inferior. They might be more deceptive. They're deceitful. They trick us. They're whatever, right? They're all the confusing things. Yeah. And so tuning into the goodness of your body and that, you know, wow, it's pretty amazing that God made my body to warn me when I'm hungry. Like hunger actually leads us to seek nurture and nutrition and Mm -hmm. it leads us to seek the thing that we need, right? So our bodies have these amazing ways to tell us what they need. Um, And so whereas the animal, and by the way, um, this is why you don't really see PTSD in the wild animal kingdom because Mm. the animal's natural biological process of feeling the threat, getting to safety And then shaking that off and getting back to kind of that homeostasis of I'm good, I'm okay, like that ventral vagal energy in your nervous system of I can be okay now, right? They have to go through that process. And what we do as humans is we interrupt that process. No blame, no shame. Like that's just what we naturally do being as, you know, rational as we are. We'll come in and we'll short circuit that process and we'll go, well, that would be silly. Why does my body need to shake right now? Or that's bad. Or I don't need to do that. Or I shouldn't be feeling this. All right, here's a big one. I'm overreacting. I shouldn't be reacting this way. Why am I making such a big deal out of this? So we stuff all that emotion rather than kind of letting it out. Um, And so that actually... There's data that shows is what contributes to developing PTSD. When all that pressure, all that mobilization, all that um, kind of sympathetic arousal energy, that fight flight kind of heart rate, you know, all that stuff, racing and skin temperature, and that when we're pushing it down because it's too scary and we don't know what to do with it, that's what contributes to kind of that infection that leads to PTSD. And so when our brains come in and assign this negative value to what we're experiencing, that's shame. 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. some could say, right, you could say that in, in different words, it's like shame fuels trauma. Yeah. Because the yeah. more we're shaming ourselves for how our bodies are naturally receiving information and receiving the harm and responding to the harm that's done to us, that's actually what perpetuates the harm. And also it's so interesting because when I, when I talk to clients about this, I have to be so gentle because to say, Hey, you really shame yourself a lot is to heap more shame. Right. So it's, it's like, I have to just so gently say it makes so much sense that your body would be doing so much and that the only way you know how to make sense of it or to make it okay or to cope with it is to come in with your that logical brain and tell yourself all the reasons you shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would it be yeah. okay to notice what that might be doing for you? Because it is kind of temporarily doing something for you, right? It's helping that those feelings kind of not be so big all the time. Um, right. But would it feel okay to let yourself feel angry for a minute, even here in the safety mm-hmm. of our session, I'm not going to be hurt by your anger. You know, there's nothing in here that you can damage. I'm not worried, but like, what would it be like to just let that, some of that anger be vocalized in a way that aligns with your beliefs and values, right? Cause we're not saying hit somebody, hurt somebody, go against your values, harm yourself, mm-hmm. but that right. our bodies right. need. And so shame. Shame really short circuits a lot of that. Yeah. Well, so I, I scribbled down as you were talking because I thought really what I think you're what I think you said for a minute there because mm-hmm. you talked about the the shaming and how the further we stuff it down, right, the more damage it does, mm-hmm. the more it contributes to more of a PTSD type of thing. And what I've been saying on like so many of these recordings is mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if your experience didn't cause someone else to have a traumatic experience, right? Like if this teaching mm-hmm. over the pulpit yeah. didn't bother someone, but it bothered you, like that doesn't, you yeah. don't, you, we don't get to Oof. discount the person who yes. was affected yes. because that experience was, was different for them. Right. So if we mm-hmm. have high levels of shame, mm-hmm. we are then going to have an equal opposite reaction of high levels of trauma. Would you say that's correct? Hmm. I have to think about that for a second. High levels of shame. Well, because shame hides, right? What shame Mm -hmm. does is there's something wrong with me and I have to hide. Mm -hmm. Shame is always going to be a hiding impulse. Mm -hmm. Whereas the healing is from, um, I I'm trying to remember who I heard this from. I know KJ Ramsey has said this, but I'm not sure if it's a quote from somebody else, but like, uh, Oh, it might be Gabor Mate, where he talks about um, healing being sort of the presence of an empathetic witness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have Which is not super yeah. present with shame. Right. It counteracts mm-hmm. shame, right? So what right. trauma does is, well, and I think defining trauma could be helpful right here too, because what you were oh, saying yes. is such a good Let's point, right? Of like, well, if that was traumatic for you, but not for me, then does that mean it wasn't trauma or it was and I'm missing something? Mm-hmm. Right. Trauma is not actually the event itself. Trauma is actually the way it gets stored in our nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, a broad and definition and a definition I really love of trauma, and I want to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of this comes from Bessel van der Kolk or Deb Dana or Peter Levine or Stephen Forges, I'm not sure, um, <laughs> but where it's like anything that actually might be Diane Langberg too. I'm not sure. Anything that (laughs) overwhelms 
you, mm-hmm. confuses you, takes you outside of your normal window of what you're able to tolerate and cope with in, with your own resources, mm-hmm. that actually is trauma. Right. And so a car accident could be really traumatic for me because of the ways my body received it. And that might be connected to other things in my story, right? That it's layering onto. Right. And for you, it's like, whoa, that was really scary. And my heart raced for a while. And I was able to whoo, shake it off and kind of come back to normal. Yeah. And I walked away yeah. and I was fine. That doesn't mean the car accident wasn't traumatic or it was. It just means it was traumatic for me. Right. And that doesn't make me right. weaker than you. It just makes my body and my story different. Right. Um, and so what you're saying about, yeah, tra- trauma is such a, it's a big buzzword, but it also means something. Yeah, and yeah. it means the ways it gets stuck. And so now mm-hmm. I'm losing track of what the question was and what you were saying. It so was like, does you say high levels of reason- shame. Oh yeah. yeah. Would, high, would, would it be reasonable to mm-hmm. assume that people who experience, well not experience, who, um, perpetuate higher levels of shame because shame is an internal thought process, right? It's something that we then say, I am bad because I am wrong because I am foolish. I am whatever. So, so when we perpetuate that cycle of shame, we are going to thereby increase our levels of trauma from the experience that we're shaming ourselves over. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say maybe an answer to that, that feels like something I want to chew on, but just for now, I would say it's like, if, if shame is the story we're telling ourselves, right? The mm-hmm. shame is the story we're telling ourselves about the ways we're broken. Um, our systems don't know how to handle shame. So right. that in itself, like shame itself is just overwhelming and confusing and yeah. painful and brings us to a powerless place. Yeah. So I would say trauma begets trauma, shame begets shame, right? The more, like if you're traumatized and you're feeling the shame about the ways you're experiencing something, the ways Mm -hmm. you're kind of acting out in your trauma, it's going to be, um, it's definitely not going to make the trauma better. It's not going to heal. It's not going to bring integration. It's going to continue to bring disintegration because if shame separates us from other people, it also separates separates us from parts of ourselves. Mm. And trauma itself, what it does to your brain and body is it actually does disintegrate, right? Dissociate. There's a disconnection. And so healing is almost like an integration. It's a reintegration. It's a, um, so yeah, I mean, I would say, as a yeah. polyvagal theory counselor and, and family systems, like my answer to your question is probably way longer than the question itself. But yeah, yeah. the third answer is the more shame you have, the more trauma you have, the more trauma you have, the more shame. It's sort of this yeah, it's a cycle, cycle yeah, because yeah, yeah. what you do in shame and trauma is you you isolate, right? And so mm-hmm. that Gabor Mate yeah. quote of of that we need an uh the presence of an empathetic witness is that you have presence, right? You're not alone. Mm -hmm. You have empathy. That's somebody who really knows and sees and understands and just is hearing you. And you're having a witness where you're actually seen. So you're with somebody, you're not alone. You're seen. I mean, imagine, right? Trauma is I'm alone. I don't matter. I'm not seen. I can't handle this. I'm bad. And so to have that space of an of the presence of an empathetic witness is kind of the opposite of all of those, which is why yeah. trauma therapy has to be the opposite of trauma. So consent right. 
is so important, right? If the trauma that happened to somebody took away their agency, I will like almost too much in therapy sessions, ask for consent and check in and ask, is this tolerable? Is this tolerable? Is it okay if, would it be okay to sit with this for a minute or do you need a break or do, you know, um, right, right. Yeah. We have to be able to give that person ownership and agency, which yes. when we look at faith as, I mean, the catechism, right? The first, so in uh, Christianity, evangelical um, kind of reformed faith, it's the very first question in the catechism is, what is my only hope in life and death? Mm. And the answer is that I am not my own, that I belong to God. And mm. On one hand, that can be really comforting, right? Yay, there's somebody uh-huh. there. I'm like, but when don't you take that. <laughs> to, when you take it to the extreme of I don't even belong to myself. Yes. Those in power, yeah. and I don't think this is godly, by the way, but those in power can use that as you don't belong to yourself. You don't get to make decisions for yourself. So exactly. Just and the act is of, yeah. Yeah, it's such a good example of good and bad, right? You can take a statement Mm -hmm. that is beautiful and can be viewed in one person as like, oh, lovely, and then take it to such a place of control um, and non-healthy interpretations, which is why, like, I can tell, like, you see so much comfort in that, and I want to pull my hair out. Like, I'm like, because my experience has been the other, you know? Yeah, no, and I will say, I'm still in this, like, I don't even know if I can look at that. It's tainted for sure. Like, yeah. I and I'm, this is not meant as an attack yeah. on you at all. Oh, no. This I is know. Just, yeah. Okay. I, I was like, I hope no. you didn't feel that I just jumped <laughs> No, I don't feel attacked at all. I think I'm more clarifying. Like, I look at that catechism. It came to mind earlier when we were talking about the, like, um, the consent and, like, does my body belong to me kind of thing. It's like yeah. when you're taught as a tenet of faith that your body doesn't belong to you. Um, then what are you, how might that impact how you're teaching your tiny children about do uh-huh. their bodies belong to them? Uh-huh. And there's this, um, it's so sweet. You can YouTube, look it up. Oh my goodness. It just came to mind, but it's called uh, Kitty and Lou. It's a new, it's a little New Zealand cartoon and it's so great. The guy from flight of the Concords, like, plays a part in it you know that that okay. guy anyway kids show they're like five minute episodes they're so sweet but the my body belongs to me episode my kids sing it all the time it goes my body belongs to me my body belongs to me it's the one I've got and I like it a lot my body belongs to me and it's oh. like you could look at that right and be threatened by that as a pastor you could be like oh well you're teaching your children the selfish self self-absorbed And I look at that and I go, I could see how you got there based on the way you're playing out your theology, but it's so one-sided and it's not the freaking gospel people like Galatians six, right? We, there's a precedent there for, we bear our own burdens and we help other people bear their own burdens. So there's like a level of, we, there is a responsibility to ourselves while also a response, like there's this interconnectedness that is so important that I can still be a self. Mm-hmm. And, and be connected to you. And I can be a self and be married to this person who I love, right? The two shall become one, but I'm still a self. And that I am, we are all one in Christ. And yet we're also full of tons of different pieces and parts. And we all operate differently. And there's beauty and dignity in the parts that um, 
you know, that people would say are more shameful. God actually heaps glory on. Like there's just this picture of interconnectedness while also a separateness that's really healthy, right? So all the verses about we shouldn't be tossed to and fro by the waves. Like we actually, there's supposed to be a solidity there. And yes, um, Christians would say we find that solidity in, in Christ and who he's made us to be, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a backbone. It doesn't mean I don't have a spine. It doesn't mean that I don't have uh, boundaries of what I'm okay with when, when, what I'm not. And so that, um, yeah, there is one thing you mentioned and I I don't want to get us off track, but earlier we were talking about the, um, we're, we're all so bad. We're all terrible and we're all going to get it into like horrible stuff. Right. It's like all these good things in us, like this desire for sex or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. It's like, what do we do with that? I'm curious because I don't know any stories about this in Mormonism. What do you do when like high profile leaders in the Mormon church fall or have a moral failing or get caught in an abuse scandal? Like what happens you, there? I can tell you exactly what happens. Yeah. Now, this has been laid down. It's so easy. Oh, it's like, it's a, just like a response that we just pull out of our back pocket. Yeah. It's the um, playbook, right? It's. It is. We're there's, also there's, horrible. There's, You're also horrible. You should all know that we have the right to tell you what to do because you don't know everything. But then when we fail, when the leaders fail, the standard changes all of a sudden. Well, it's actually so in Mormonism, the statement that if you ask any believing Mormon, if you mm-hmm. say, well, hey, like, look, there's problems inherent, like this, you know, person yeah. had this scandal or whatever. Um, it is that the church is perfect but the members are not. And the leaders are just men. I mean, until they're, they're sure. not right. We treat them as if they are not, but then when they do something wrong, they um, they're, up, just they're just men. men. They're, yeah. they're fallible. Like that doesn't um, alter anything that I believe that doesn't shift any yeah. of that because yeah. that's already been laid down of like, Oh, well, but it's okay yeah. because they're, they're imperfect and they're susceptible right. to the same temptations as the rest of us. Um, yeah. And that is something that, yeah, was drilled in from, from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I mean, there's truth in that, right? Because we're all fallible. Sure. And again, and this is where it goes back to what you had talked about mm-hmm. with like, there's nuggets of truth. Yeah. And I did write a post about this. Actually, it might have been in the silencing of intuition post. I cannot remember. Mm-hmm. But that is that's when there's truth there. It's yeah. very easy for us to be like, no, that resonates as truth, right? Yeah, so yes. instead of evaluating the wholeness of the concept or the wholeness mm-hmm. of the sentence, we take it all in because something resonated and we ignore yeah. all of the rest. And then yeah. when the rest of that sentence pings later as like, hey, this might be a problem, yeah. we mm-hmm. discount that immediately because we already resonated with the mm-hmm. truth, you know? Yes. Anyway. Yeah. 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 There's that. Um impulse in all of us to keep things going as they are, right? The status quo, yeah. the homeostasis. Oh, absolutely. I'm feeling a little bit of this isn't quite right, but I'm seeing everyone around me do this a certain way. All the other messages, there's a part of it that's resonating with me. There's so much more in our systems that would just rather go, yep, this is good. This is safe. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> we well, need yes, it to be course. fine. We need it to be safe. Yes. Well, and I think that this is important because a lot of people, some, a lot of people don't know they're doing this, but the people that are aware are the ones that are in that, that awful, like just beginning 
phases of deconstruction or they're just starting to tip their toe in. And what happens is we see all of these inconsistencies finally, but they're so scary because we know what the cost is. And yeah. so we, we keep strong arming mm-hmm. them out because we're like, I don't know if I'm ready to pay that. Because what happens yeah. if I look at this all the way, right? And so it becomes very, very difficult yes. to start to pulling yeah. apart those things that we have internalized because mm-hmm. we're just acutely aware of what will come yeah. if we continue to walk down the mm-hmm. path. So and yeah, the it's cost. To just, the cost, and the cost is, is astronomical. Community. Oh, it's huge. Family. Reality. Okay <laughs> yeah. Would this be an okay yeah. time to kind of, I know we're wrapping up possibly soon, but that this is my family's story the past year is that we made a choice that was choosing integrity and choosing truth and that we lost everything because of it. And I look back and I go, how did we do that? Because I think if we, I want to believe that if we'd known the full cost of what it was going to cost us, we would have still done it. And I think we would have because we were so confident that it was right but we ended up losing so much more than we ever thought we could. I mean, we were shunned overnight. We were literally excommunicated by my husband's church that he was working at. Um, and, and what we did was we told one elder, one church leader that we believed the senior lead pastor guy was domineering. Um, mm-hmm. And that they couldn't handle the truth. And it was just that picture of, one man's inability to tolerate any shame, even healthy shame, because healthy shame is meant to bring us toward reconciling, right. And right? It's like we should feel a little bit of prick of, ooh, what have I done? I hurt this person. Yeah. But one man's inability to tolerate any shame whatsoever, and he has a trauma story, by the way, and that's that's important. I think a lot slash probably all, I mean, Trauma breeds narcissism. So if you see a narcissism, I guarantee you there's trauma there in that story. And that's sad. But this one man's inability to tolerate any shame. We never got any acknowledgement that there was anything wrong whatsoever with even a teeny bit of anything he'd done. And instead he heaped that shame upon us. And so we became the bad guys. I became the focus as, you know, the person who, um, the woman who led my husband astray, who ran my mouth, who convinced him that he was being spiritually abused. And it's just so sad because a year and a half later, we still see how that man's inability to tolerate any ownership, any kind of healthy shame has led so many more people to be hurt. Um, There's been an exodus from the church and he is still not owning anything. The elders continue to prop him up. Um, it's just doesn't make any sense that yeah. all of a sudden he's perfect. Okay. Um, but anyway, that's just sort of a little no, teaser to my for... story that people can yes. find out more about on a, a, a different podcast that we recorded on. Yeah. Uh, on this uncertain podcast, right. Is where um, the untangled story. faith, untangled, oh, untangled faith. faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh wait, that's yours. And so I know it's not mine. No. So oh, uncertain Lord, is, I think that's <laughs> Catherine's. Yeah. I think that's it Catherine's. Is. Spirit, a different Catherine, yeah. And she's great. Yes. You know her, of course. Um, but untangled but faith untangled. is another kind of, uh, I don't, I would say friend colleague in the, in the abuse survivor community. And her name's Amy Fritz and she's done a wonderful, wonderful podcast. And, um, 
just such a, a sweet thing to be able to share our story on her, I think her third season of her podcast. So, okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Cause it is, it's, it's traumatic. And I, we, we have mm-hmm. a few minutes. We can definitely get into yeah. this a little bit more. Yeah, um, sure. So let's get in a little bit deeper to your story because you have um, a lot. It, 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 the cost is really like, I really want to talk about mm-hmm. um, the cost of this all because I think there are a lot of people who find themselves in similar scenarios to you where you see um, either abuses of power, you see uh, damaging leadership, and we don't feel like we can say something because of the cost. So um, kind of walk us through that. And then also, I I would personally love to know where you're at now, which is still very much in the middle of this process you're going through, if... If it was worth it, was the cost worth it? Oh, was the cost worth it? That is, I don't know if I have been asked that question. Hmm. Wow. That's cool to think about. Um, yeah. So what was the cost? That's where we're starting. Whatever part of your story you would like to emphasize, let's start there. And then we definitely walk through what the cost is. Yeah. Okay. We kind of began, once we started seeing problems, we began, I mean, for us, we, the most important thing for us always was doing the right thing and having integrity. We knew we weren't perfect. We knew we would mess up, but that was always for us. It was always, what would be the right thing to do here? What would be the thing of integrity? And so when we decided to start to ask questions of the leadership of, Hey, this is the way my husband's been treating behind closed door, being, being treated behind closed doors. Here's things that have been said to him. Some of those, the elders were witnesses to, um, we very quickly started to realize that like, just kind of gently kind of asking a question was to poke a bear. Um, Mm. So we were blindsided. I mean, we started, we ended by saying, yes, this guy is domineering and has spiritually abusive tendencies. But where it started was us saying, this guy's not gentle. That was literally that how was... we said it. And it was as if we'd accused him of murder. It was so bizarre. I just remember us going, we knew enough to expect that he wouldn't take ownership and that he would Darvo us. So Google Darvo, D-A-R-V-O. It's... um a common response to, to uh, asking somebody to take accountability. It's that the person will deny. So there's a level of like denying what you said that it even happened. Uh, there might be a, well, um, an attack either, either explicitly or implicitly to your character. So it becomes about you. And, you know, I'm sure that as I'm describing this, people will be able to think about, Oh yeah, that's happened to me. Like you go to someone, you say, Hey, here's something I'm experiencing. I'm not liking it. This isn't okay with me. It hurts, et cetera. And it turns to become about you. Uh, and then the RVO is reverse the role of the victim and the offender. So all of a sudden Mm. you're the one at fault. They're the victim. How can you say this about me? I'm just trying to love you. How could, you know? So we knew that that was probably going to come from him, but we were blindsided when our friends, like dear friends, the other men in leadership turned on us as well. It was as if they all knew there was some secret code of like, we can't even accuse this guy of like picking his nose. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And so... So, it, so association with you would have landed them with the same cost that you yep, guys they would have been correct? put on the outside as well right so that experience mm -hmm. of you're in the in circle all of a sudden you're on the out circle and not only are you in the out circle you become a threat and you've become mm -hmm. the oppressor or right. the offender or the yes. abuser we've been accused and of all, yeah yeah and this is a very common thing i just want to point out so many mm -hmm. women have experienced this well and families have experienced this from leaving their religion right because they are now the outsider. They are a threat yeah. to their faith and their experiences. And so it's different. Like what you were walking through was slightly altered, but the yeah. end result is the same. The yeah. being on oh, the we were shunned. I mean, we were completely abandoned. Exactly. And not just abandoned, but actually um, crushed, devastated, pummeled, mm. beaten up. Well, this was your, like... So this was not only a religious belief system, which you are still holding on to a great deal of it, and it's beautiful, mm -hmm. um, but this was your life in that it was your livelihood, it was your every day, yeah. it was your every mm -hmm. waking moment, like it was all tied into... Yeah. We'd moved this. across the country with a newborn. We bought our first house. I'd opened a really new but thriving practice of uh, psychotherapy. It was, yeah, it was our livelihood. He was the main provider for our family. And um, at the end, we left with nobody on our side, from the church at least. Nothing, no money to our name, pretty much. We'd sold our house, but just because of the way things went, even though it was a, technically a great market, we ended up losing or barely breaking even. Uh, we had a severance promised to us in writing and it was signed with no conditions and they revoked it. Um, it's like, oh, and they had the congregation literally raise their hands to vote to excommunicate us. Like not just that I'm saying, yeah, we're pretty much excommunicated. Like they literally used the word excommunication and said, we are excommunicating the Wilkins. They told the church, do not reach out to the Wilkins because they're slanderers. So we had literally, there were a couple people who came because my birthday was the day after they told the congregation all this stuff. Um, brought me, like a, one friend brought me a flower. One friend brought me um, pavlova because she bakes and is really great at mm. that. And she literally told me recently because they've now left the church and kind of have a target on their back now. She was like, I was terrified to tell anybody that I had even seen you because it just was like this thing that we weren't supposed to do. It was wrong. Mm. And, um, so all the fear, all the control. Um, so yeah, we ended up leaving. We just, I mean, like there's the immediate cost, right. Which is community, uh, livelihood, safety in our, in our neighborhood. Cause the church and all the elders lived close by, uh, the ability to kind of just feel safe in our own city, so then there's been the cost since then, right? The more long-term costs is that um, our kids don't enjoy going to church. They cry every Sunday. Um, oh. mm -hmm. And I think there's lots of reasons for that, of course, right? But we can't discount that there's, there's their bodies, their little bodies. No, this was supposed to be a safe place. And then all of a sudden we lost all our friends. And, right. um, well, and kids are, kids are aware of so much more than, oh yeah. And that's, like, they, so they our kids, their parents. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. So mental health. I mean, my husband and I just, our bodies remember, right. It's like, there'll be times when my husband can't even sit in a pew 
without almost having a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. And that's even being in a safe church where we know the pastor and we love him and we trust him. Um, We've both struggled with depression. Yeah. We have both wrestled with kind of chronic health issues, chronic fatigue. Um, It's like our bodies count the cost, even after Mm. our cognitive, rational brain has kind of gone like, yep, okay, that happened, right? It's like, so the healing takes Mm. so long because the wounds are so deep and there's so many of them. When the people that are like, yeah, what show, what data, like there's just some studies and don't quote me on this, but I could probably find them that there's a lot of data that shows that you know, what hurts our souls and our nervous systems, our brains and our bodies most is betrayal from people mm. that we, that were meant to be safe, right? Cause there's something really disorienting similar with abuse, like children who grow up in abusive homes. It's, there's something in our souls that knows these are supposed to be my safe people. There's something in us yeah. that knows, right? Church, our pastors are like the people who claim to represent God or who yeah. in some ways are meant to pastor us and guide us in this faith. We know that they're meant to be the the helpers. They're meant to be there for us. They're meant to protect us. And when those are the very people that actually not only aren't protecting you, but are actually harming you, yeah, it is mind bending for your soul. It is obliterating yeah. for your body. It's disorienting. I mean, that's not even a strong enough word for it. And so it's up becomes down, down becomes up. Yes. It's just, so when, Uh you know, we talk about how, when spiritual abuse, sorry, hold on. When um, physical or sexual or verbal or emotional abuse is present, especially in a faith community, spiritual abuse is always also present because that's, there's also Mm -hmm. the spiritual development. So the spiritual element, I mean, Um, spiritual abuse can occur on its own without sexual abuse or physical abuse or, you know, but where you have, um, any sort of spiritual dimension, whether it's in the home, right. Of like a religious family or in a church or a Christian organization where there is verbal, sexual, emotional, domineering, controlling, abusive, there's also the spiritual element. And Mm -hmm. I would never claim this because I don't know what it's like to be a victim of domestic violence. But what I have heard is that people who are victims of domestic violence, who actually have been battered physically, even they will say, you know, the wounds heal, the physical wounds heal, but what takes so much longer to heal and work through is the emotional, spiritual psychological damage that's done. And so there's no, there's just no, like you can't dismiss this by saying, well, there wasn't any sex involved. Um, there's just such deep harm that just touches a a part of your soul. Um, that's so sinister when there's religious faith and you bring God into the mix when you're silencing women in the name of God, it is spiritually abusive. It is. And that's, that's why I chose the name that I did is because in the name of God raises the stakes, it raises mm-hmm. the cost, it raises the damage, it raises like it, it amplifies everything. But I, I want to shine a light on something that you said. And if you would like to expound, you can, if you've said everything like that's sure. fine. But yeah. um, when you talked about the physical ramifications and the physical toll of this, mm-hmm. 
I don't think anyone has spoken about this yeah. on my podcast. I mean, on my yeah. podcast, people have spoken about this. Like, but um, <clears throat> no one that has come on and talked to me has brought this up. And this is something that yeah. I am definitely intimately familiar, <laughs> familiar with between the faith crisis and then a spirituality mm-hmm. transition and all these things like the toll on my physical body was so ridiculous it was embarrassing to even talk about because yeah. nobody really thinks that it's yeah. a thing but the yeah, fatigue no yeah yeah the fatigue yeah. the pain like cuz i have mm. autoimmune disease anyway so mm. the the flare ups would increase the inflammation in yes. the body would increase yes. um and anytime <clears throat> something happens that's huge i i'm noticing mm. this pattern of i need to sleep more yeah. and i think the reason I want to shine a light on this is not for validation, but more so mm. because that's another source of shame it's is so we start to be like, why do I, why am I sleeping so yes. much? What's wrong with me? Like nothing. I left the church two years ago where I had this traumatic yeah. event a year ago and, and yeah. then the body can't heal because we aren't being mm. kind to it and allowing yes. it to do what it needs. Yes. The body seen as an inconvenience or a problem to be solved rather than a person to be loved yeah um and yes, I'm taking which that is a very Ramsey. yeah strange way for not many people will look yeah. at it like that no, no. and it's a new thing for me I actually had I'm just gonna get super woo woo weird here for a second I actually did have a super f- profound experience in meditation around this exact concept because mm. I have not read this yeah. book that what book did you just say again so KJ author? Ramsey uh she is actually a dear friend which is really cool and oh, she's cool. a very yeah wonderful voice in the she, it's sort of an intersection of um trauma and the way our bodies respond and chronic Mm -hmm. illness. So Mm -hmm. I actually think that it would be a great uh, resource for you and spiritual abuse. And she comes from, uh, she and her husband, similar, actually, she's a therapist. Her husband was a pastor. They're wonderful, wonderful. I mean, just dear friends. They were literally the people we called as soon as Colby resigned because we were like, we don't know anybody who knows what we're going through, but we kind of mm-hmm. remembered like, Oh, Ryan and KJ were sharing about like their church story. And we actually ended up just picking up and driving across the country to Colorado to hang out with them. Oh, like our very wow. first week after everything went down, they were there for us. But the book, the first book she wrote is called this too shall last, right? Oh. We, we know that phrase, this too shall pass, but like, what do you do when suffering lingers? What, it, what yeah. do you do when it just keeps going? And a lot of what she says in that book is like, what does it mean to think about pain and suffering in our lives as an invitation to be cared for and loved rather than a problem to be solved? Uh, And then she just wrote another book that's called The Lord is My Courage. And it goes through verse by verse, word actually phrase by phrase, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean to have an embodied experience of that? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so Actually, a little tiny tidbit is that in her last chapter, she talks about uh, Kat and Colby as a part of her story. And so we're in that last chapter and it just shares kind of this full circle of how they went through their wilderness and that they always prayed that they would be able to be a lifeline to someone else in the wilderness. And so when we called them and we went over and we spent a week with them in Colorado and we were sleeping all day, like we were just that so fatigued, right? So much fatigue. Yes. That they just looked at each other and were like, this is 
what we prayed for. We wanted to be able to be this lifeline in the wilderness for somebody. And so it's really sweet, but they've been great. Um, Yeah. It's like the inflammation, right? When we think about it, it makes so much sense that when your system is in a place that's not safe, your system's going to be flooded with that cortisol and adrenaline Mm -hmm. and either you're going to shut down and it's all going to just kind of congeal and get infected or you're going to, um, probably, you know, in, in other ways, maybe not shut down so much, but let, uh, but not allow your system because of all those messages you've received and absorbed and all this stuff, not listening to what your body might need. And then there's a crash that makes a lot of sense. Right. And when you think about autoimmune issues, inflammation is where there's a link there. And when cortisol and adrenaline are just a chronic fixture in your body, cause you're never feeling safe and you're not choosing that by the way, that's your good wise body going, this isn't safe. This isn't safe. It leads to inflammation. And <clears throat> so there's actually lots of examples of abuse, trauma as actually either flipping the switch possibly for an autoimmune yeah. Uh, struggle like for the first time ever, you know, for people who just have been healthy most of their lives or yeah. like you're saying just this inflammation, this constant kind of different triggers. And, um, mm-hmm. I don't know what word you would use for that, but just when the issues you already have get worse, the flare ups. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so Absolutely. linked. And for people I that are, yeah. For people that say, so of course I'm always thinking about kind of some of my, um, I don't know, audience isn't the right word, but like the people in my past circles and the people in my circles now and future circles, I think for people who are going, whoa, that sounds really woo-woo, like what you were saying. It's like, why is it (laughs) woo-woo to acknowledge that we're not just like souls on a stick? Like we're actually bodies and that God made us that way and that and that our yeah. bodies have a level of intelligence on its and that, own. Yes. Yeah. And the incarnation itself of like Jesus taking on human flesh, he didn't become less God. At least I, I don't know what Mormons believe about Jesus' nature. I think there's maybe differences there, but like oh. we don't believe, I don't believe that he became less, less divine, but the yeah. fact that Jesus could take on a body and that he wept and he sweat. Okay. When Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's like, it says that his sweat was falling like drops of blood. Right. You want to tell me Jesus wasn't anxious? Right, right. That he wasn't having possibly a panic attack? Right. I mean, I just think that's really interesting to think about. And I don't know, right? I don't know exactly what you would diagnose Jesus with in that moment. But he was so human and yet so good. Mm-hmm. And even though we can't be him, we, we get a picture of in Jesus what grief can look like. He cried. Yeah. What pain can look like, what anger can look like. I mean, he right. baptized anger as something that we can have and still be righteous. Right? Righteous anger, yeah. man, that is something that has been really um, empowering for me to think through. Like, of course, my anger is sometimes going to be self centered or self absorbed or whatever. But anger, like, we should be angry at injustice. That's Mm -hmm. actually godly. We should be angry when the people who are meant to be protecting the sheep are actually feeding themselves off the sheep in Mm. their congregation. And oh, it just makes Mm. me like want to cry and vomit and rage Mm -hmm. at the same time. Even just saying that, like you're fat. There's this Ezekiel, I think 34. There's like this, this picture of the shepherds are actually fattening themselves off of the sheep. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not what a shepherd no, is. That was a very powerful, yeah, that was a very, very powerful sentence. Yeah. 
Mm, Mm -hmm. It's just sick. And that's what these people are doing. And I like to say that's what these men are doing. I know that women can be spiritually abusive too. I know and I've experienced that, but in these cases, it's often men, isn't it? It is often. And it's, yeah, the way the system has been structured Mm -hmm. and and it's changing and, and that is amazing. Um, Yes. But yes, the statistics are definitely higher in men because there just are so many more. Um, In power. Okay. We need Mm -hmm. to. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for correcting my words that sound like something they are not throughout this podcast. (laughs) I mean, I also, I just wonder like, is there, there's probably more women in the world than men, but I don't know. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know either. I haven't actually Mm -hmm. like taken the statistical data. Yeah. <laughs> Why not, Debbie? Come on. I know. I'm such a slagger. Um, before, <laughs> yeah. before we end, I, I do want to just say one thing for those who are listening as yes. um, maybe hmm, a little guidepost. And then I would love mm-hmm. if you want to add, please, please yeah. do. And then, then sure. we'll wrap it up. Um, you said something a while back about being an empathetic witness. Mm. And not well no you said needing an empathetic witness which is so so true we all need that person and Mm -hmm. oftentimes that comes in the form of wonderful amazing counselors who can say like exactly what you've said over and over again here which is hey this isn't you right like of course your body's responding this way of course you're emotionally responding this way like my goodness why what else would you do like let's really look at this from a very empathetic place and it's so critical that we have that and Mm -hmm. What has been beautiful for me, so I started uh, working with a counselor probably, oh my goodness, I don't even know how long it's been. I started working, it's been at least 12 years since I started working on brain patterns and rewiring things. And and then I pulled in a counselor because I got really stuck on like, I couldn't get through the shame cycles is what it was. Wow. And I pulled in a counselor who was able to, yeah, point out stuff to me like, hey, honey, that's unhealthy. (laughs) And also Mm -hmm. why, like, why do you, why, why are you thinking this way? What's like, let's help resettle, like reset Mm -hmm. this. Let's pull the shame out. And, uh, she set me up for a lot of realizations that I've had pretty recently around, um, shame and Mm -hmm. all of this, all of this trauma processing and, and, uh, looking at things in our past with, with a different lens. And that realization is, the lack of judgment. Mm-hmm. And this, this runs heavy in, in spirituality circles. And it's, I think yeah. in counseling would be called an empathetic witness. As mm-hmm. soon as you said that, I was like, Oh my God, that's the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. But because I've been working on this very consciously for a really long time, and I'm pointing this out, not to pat myself on the back, yeah. but to say like, this is hard. What I'm about to say yeah. is hard and it takes work to get there and it's okay. Mm-hmm. But eventually you can learn to become your own empathetic witness. And I think there is so much power in this. And you said this is actually a term in counseling, which I didn't know that that was. So go ahead and tell me what the term is. Yeah. So in polyvagal theory, which is the science of safety and how we feel safe or not safe in, in relationships. And it's neuro, it's neuro kind of this whole nervous system, how our brain sends signals down to our body um, that, there is co-regulation, which is that we all, it's, it's a biological imperative that we all need um, this 
ideally early life, but it can be gained also later in life that this experience of this other person who is um, there for us, who not perfectly, which I love that the bar isn't perfect. Like we, we really do only need caregivers and friends and companions who are like present enough, attentive enough, uh, kind enough, you know, responsive enough to our needs. Mm -hmm. Then it lays this foundation for you know, the world isn't out to get me. I can generally rely on other people, not everybody, of course, right? But there's this foundation of which I'm safe. Therefore, I then now have the ability to be that regulating force for myself. And so you move mm -hmm. from co-regulation to self-regulation. And so right. another right. soapbox of mine, which I won't get into, is when we make infants cry it out and then they stop crying oh. and we think, oh, yay. No, you know, it's like they actually don't know how to self-regulate. And when right. when we're requiring them to do that before they're developmentally ready, we're actually short-circuiting that attachment bond and we're short-circuiting that co-regulation experience to where they learn possibly, not always. If you've done this, don't worry, like <laughs> get your child into therapy. Um, but that I can... Um, maybe people aren't out there to help me. And so maybe there's no point in crying because no one's going to come anyway. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying, that journey you've come to, to be able to be your own empathetic witness is so beautiful. And like you said, it's taken mm -hmm. so long and it's such it's a hope. Hard. It's such a voice of hope, yes. isn't it? Of, ah, yeah. oh, I can be in a yes. place where this, this person might, my husband, my partner, my friend, my whatever might look at me the wrong way one day or just not be there for me because they have their own stuff going on and I can still be okay. And maybe I'm hurt by that and I can go to them. But in general, that my kind of foundation is that I'm okay. Right. I yeah. So the thing that has been interesting is we've talked so much about shame and how damaging it is, right? Mm -hmm. And shame has slowly become one of my Okay, now let me get to the end of the sentence because it's going to sound awful for about three seconds. Everyone, everyone ready? Okay. I believe you. Become, I'm like, we'll get there. We'll get there. I promise. Shane has, shame has become one of my biggest um, helps and tools in self-regulation because what will happen mm -hmm. is when I feel that shame, I now use it as a flag, like a red flag. Like it's a trigger yes. that goes off of like, oh, something's gone awry something's here. It's not right. Some, yeah. I need to stop for a yeah. second and I need to look inside. And then the key is, and this is what I want everyone to really hear is, and we've talked about this too, really in, in at several points, is the acceptance of our own mm -hmm. emotional reactions to things, right? Yeah. So like once you look in, you're like, oh, I'm angry. That's cool. That's, that's okay. It is totally mm -hmm. fine that I'm angry. Why am yeah. I angry? Well, I'm angry mm -hmm. because I didn't really like the way that they talked to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's also okay because nobody likes to be talked to that way. Mm -hmm. um, is the thing that they said triggering a fear in me and an inadequacy in me? Or mm -hmm. do I need to like look at, they've had a really shitty day today <laughs> and that yeah. was absolutely not about me. That was about mm -hmm. them. Like that had nothing to do with mm -hmm. me and I can choose which path to take from there. But like, yeah, I think that it's it's been so empowering and freeing for me to be able mm -hmm. to learn to self-regulate, to accept these emotions, yeah. not as like I get to be a terrible person and I get to yell at people. No, I just don't mm -hmm. shame my own emotional responses anymore, which allows mm -hmm. me to be my own empathetic witness and walk those paths yeah. on my yes. own because I've slowly learned how to do yes. that. So and I'm not special yes. in this. 
I am not amazing because this is something we all can learn how to do. And I mm-hmm. just want to put that out as like, there is a path mm-hmm. out of all of these cycles, like find yes. a co-empathetic witness. And then if yeah. you choose to, you can learn to be mm-hmm. your own. Yes. And I love that. Thanks for saying that. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I think by the way, it's okay to pat yourself on the back for really good, hard, courageous <laughs> years right. of courageous work that you've done. I did a lot. You're right. It <laughs> is hard. And see, you're hundred percent right. What I don't want to do, and this has been, this is one of my soapboxes is, oh, damn it. It is too late in this podcast to get on a huge soapbox. One of one, of, but I'm going to try to short, do it shortly. <laughs> One of my podcasts, one of of my, thank you. Thank you. One of my soapboxes is this thought process that so many people have of, Mm -hmm. well, they can do it because they're special, right? Mm -hmm. Or they have this talent because they're better than me or they have this. Mm -hmm. And are we different? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We're different. And it's okay. And those differences are beautiful and amazing. But I always want to make sure on like things like this. Did I work my ass off? Mm -hmm. Guys, yes. I don't know how many hours I've spent crying and screaming and beating my head into a wall because I'm just like, this is so hard and so painful. And I still hit moments where that flag will go up and I'll have the realization Mm -hmm. of what I'm actually looking at. And I'm like, oh, shit, because it's huge. Mm -hmm. It's a massive thing that I need to work for, work through and shoulder and take responsibility that I really didn't want to take. So like. It, I do get to pat myself on the back because it was a courageous thing to walk through, but it is not because I am inherently more special or more capable than any Mm -hmm. other person on the planet. Yeah. Brilliant. So you can, you can celebrate your own courage while also encouraging other people to, that there's hope and that they have it in them to be able to find the resources that they need to find to, to do this work too. I think exactly. that's really important. And yeah. yeah. And thank you for coming on to share your story because the courage and the hope is exactly what I hope people pull from the things that you've said, not only from a counselor standpoint, but also from your own personal story of mm-hmm. the cost being very high and you yeah. standing it mm-hmm. for your morals and your belief systems and your truth and yeah. walking through that path that you have, have chosen and that it's going to be okay. And hopefully it's going to be worth it for everybody. I know it has been definitely worth it for me and my journey. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. If I could, you said I could give a kind of final word to the listeners. Yes. Does that work? Yes. Please Um, final word it up, girl. Yeah. Well, a couple of things I just was thinking is that you had asked, is the loss or was the cost worth it? And I just I was, don't. listen, I wanted you to answer that, but I was like, if she's trying to avoid it, I am not no, bringing it up again. No, I would never just, I would never just beat around the bush about that. Um, I just remembered that that was the question. And I just think, yes. oh my word, like I can say without a doubt, yes, the cost was worth it. Does that mean the cost was small and painless? Hell no. And I don't use the word hell lightly because there have been times when I'm like, surely hell is not this bad. I know that, you know, (laughs) like it literally has felt like what I could imagine hell being. Yeah. It's painful. It's excruciating. There are days 
I mean, days, and I don't say this lightly, there are days, weeks actually, where for weeks on end, my hand is like this every time I lift it up. Shaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Weeping, not being able to get through an hour. And I mean, like, I just look back and I go, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemies. Like those early weeks of just, am I crazy? Are we doing everything wrong? What in the world is happening? But where I'm at now, and I will say, I don't know the spectrum of zero to hero of how much healing I've done. Um, Maybe I'm at 20. I don't even know. But regardless of where I am on the healing journey, I wake up most days and I go, I don't really care what the people in power who harmed me think of me. Mm. And when for so long, that was what I fought so hard to gain you know, to need their approval, to want their approval, to feel like I had to do things to belong. Like, and, and it's not that I've been like, screw you. I don't care what you think. It's more of, you're not who I know Jesus to be. And in this wilderness, when we've been kicked out of the wilderness, right. When, um, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and they got into the wilderness. And so they were free. They weren't slaves anymore, but they were like, God, this sucks. At least in Egypt, we had three square meals a day. And it's like, you're in the wilderness and the people, you know, we've been pushed into the wilderness and it's freedom, even though it feels like we don't know where our daily bread's coming from. And we don't know where we're going and what day we're going to arrive. And like, where the heck is this promised land? God, um, but that we look back on the people who are still enslaved. And I use that word, you know, sort of I like not lightly because I think that a lot of the people who are still in these abusive environments are enslaved. Like they are being slave enslaved um, to where they don't know what freedom is and the wilderness looks so scary. And once you're there it is scary, but that God has, there are so many other people in the wilderness and Debra, you're one of those people for me that like, we've just sort of come alongside, you know, we've kind of run into each other in this wilderness and been like, Oh, you know, Catherine, I know Catherine. Yeah. Um, these lifelines. And so I, it's not that I'm in this wilderness being like, screw these people. I don't care what they think of me. I'm all alone. It's that I found this community of safety Mm. and people who help co-regulate and people who are just so, bring so much gentleness and lowliness. And I don't mean lowly in terms of like, you're the scum of the earth, but lowly in terms of you're so open and you're so welcoming. And there are people like that waiting to just waiting for you with open arms. So if you're in that place where you're like, I am in a place and I don't know if this is what I can do or can I bear the cost? I don't even know what the cost is going to be, but like, please know that there are people waiting for you um, in the wilderness with open arms. And then the last thing I wanted to say is, um, Wade Mullen, he has a book called uh, Something's Not Right. And the subtitle is uh, something like um, Decoding the Hidden Tactics of Spiritual Abuse. So he talks about kind of that, you know, that, yeah, it's so good. He's like, I mean, I just, mm, Wade, I've met him in person once, never actually got to talk to him, but in my mind, I feel like he's a friend of mine. Um, but he talks about how abuse is an assault on beauty. That's how he defines Mm, one of his definitions for abuse, right? It's the things that are good and beautiful and true and full of dignity in us are assaulted, are um, defiled, are, I don't even like that word defiled, but more like um, 
yeah. Uh, and wow, there's a word that's like totally not violated, the violated. <laughs> like, where's that word? I said it earlier. Um, and so he talks about how cultivating beauty can be an act of kind of screw you to abuse. And so mm. oh, even I love to that so leave much. us, yeah, leave us with that thought of like, what's a way you might cultivate beauty? And maybe you're, you're probably already doing it, right? Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's interior, like decorating your home. Maybe it's um, uh, like I kind of randomly started becoming a makeup artist and it's been like totally fun and silly and like, it's like really fun. Um, and it's not about like creating beauty. It's like every face is already beautiful. And so I get to kind of celebrate that. And the, the yeah. so the, just the fun of it is great. Um, well, yeah. So whatever that looks like, like that part of your like screw you to the harm that was done to you might be cultivating beauty in some way, whatever that might mean for you. I just love kind of thinking about that because that's really, that's who we are at our core is we've been made beautiful with dignity and in the image of God. So that would be kind of my possible final encouragement. Perfect. It's a perfect final encouragement. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your thoughts. I know it will be of use to so, so many beautiful people. Thank you so much. I really appreciated being here with you today. It's been so fun. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. Once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more silent she was silent but she'll carry her pain